Oh, wait, there's a metronome. Huh. You better talk in time. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that just freaked me out. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Say hi, Ron. Hey, what's up, man? Ron was, Ron was just telling me a funny story off, uh, off mic that I, I'm not going to repeat. But My life's dysfunctional. It's just very dysfunctional. I mean, you know, as a married guy with a kid, it's a little, little interesting. Anyway, this is the Automatic Crowd <laughs> podcast from St. Vitus. Um, we, uh, we just did an intro where we talked about stuff already, so I'm not going to fucking talk about that shit. This is the intro for the Johnny Stiff episode, which I might break up into two parts because it's really fucking long. Um, again... It was actually, it was probably like five hours long in total. We hung all day. Yeah, it was an all-day Johnny Stiff experience. Um, for the people who don't know who Johnny Stiff is, he, uh, he has a very uh, long history. I probably shouldn't get into it too much because he talks about it a lot. Uh, a lot of people nowadays know him as Man with Van here, who has uh, a, um, a Metal Masker cassette stuck in his fucking <laughs> <laughs> He'll drive you to any gig, and he won't lift any gear. Yeah, yeah well, but that's stiffed, what he does. Stiff don't lift. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he had a song written about him uh, by the Day Glow Abortions for being a, a, a scummy promoter. Yeah, apparently. not very complimentary. Yeah, it was good stuff. Um, Kill Johnny Stiff is the name of the song. Yeah, Kill Johnny Stiff, which I read the lyrics to in the beginning. Uh, and we had a lot of audio problems on this one, so you're going to have to bear with us because it was the first time one we did, and I, as usual, don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, when it comes to engineering, I leave that into the hands of people who can. But since this is so simple and we're broke, uh, I'm not paying anybody to fucking do it. So I figured it out now, though. It sounds great now. Yeah, we're killing it. We're now. killing it. So the intro is going to sound great and the interview is going to sound like shit. Yeah, it's going to sound like shit. So but just deal with it. And it but it's well worth sitting through uh, all of that because uh, Johnny's a really interesting character from the late 70s. And, uh, and through the 80s when he hosted Crucial Chaos and he booked at Wetlands and... Um, I think it's worth it just to hear his heavy breathing in the microphone through all that. Oh, is he come off like a creeper? Oh, is he like Darth Vader or something? Uh, it's, it's, I had to compress it so much to get our voices in it that like, <laughs> it just picks up everything from him. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's my again, it's my genius engineering. I, I should have sent it off to one of my to one of my uh, famous engineering producer friends. I'll send it send it to Bob Ezrin. Hey, Bob, could you? Uh, could you remix the Johnny Stiff podcast I just did? I'm sure you'd get a good raid from him. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, he'd be totally into it. I think I think I could get him for around eighty five thousand, maybe ninety thousand dollars, something. I have like that. that. Do you have that in your pocket? Yeah, oh, totally. I'll totally do it. to have Ezzy do it. Yeah, sure, man. That's fucking. He he would he would he would call me and say the same thing he always says. Trust me, I'm a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> which made me convinced that he wrote Doctor Love, which he didn't. I don't think I he don't didn't. Know. No, but he wrote Beth. And he, he should claim it if he's going to say that. Well, I, believe me, if there's money to be made, he's going to claim it. And I, That's so for sure. I guess there's not. And Dr. Love is on an early it's Kiss record, isn't it? It's before Destroyer Destroy or Love Gun. I forget which one. Huh. Hey, George, which, which Calling Kiss? Calling Dr. Love, Destroyer or Love Gun? It is. Right? It is Love Gun. Okay. Yeah, thank you, George. <laughs> we are literally at the bar. So just to let you know, I mean, I swear to God. Um... I won't talk about anthrax because I already just did that. Uh, we had anthrax for this weekend. Um, uh, it was very exciting. The New York Times did an article on it, which we were always excited to get press from the New York Times. It does nothing for us, but, you know, I, um, it looks cool. And show your parents. Yeah, show. Uh, yeah, maybe my parents don't care, I think. A couple well, if of, anyone's going to really care, it would yeah, be I relatives. Yeah, it would be relatives. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, hey, I didn't totally fuck my life up. <laughs> 
because this band played my this band <laughs> yeah. that's way too big to play my place played my place because this band did a cancer benefit for children yeah. or whatever it was it's a, I totally didn't is it, that this, what it was yeah and this okay. totally makes up for anything I did wrong um doesn't make up for everything Scott Ian's done wrong. Though. I don't know what's going on. You, you and the Scott Ian, I think we should have a grudge match with Scott Ian. I'll kill that Ron guy. Grimaldi and Scott Ian. No, I met him twice back in the 80s, and uh, I cursed him out both times. Once Wait, was a, Did a, he mosh on you? No, I would have moshed on him. Well, the second time, I would have moshed on him. I was really young the first time. I met him at an uh, in-store, and he was less than friendly, and he laughed what? at me. Really? And it, where was the in-store? It was at the Wax Museum. Agents of Fortune had two names back in 86 when Spreading the Disease came out. And I used to wear my hair on my face, like kind of like a cousin-it, antisocial character. Mm. And he laughed at me, and I said, what are you laughing at, dick? <laughs> and uh, I was wearing a fistful of metal, a fistful of metal button, and he had, he, he's like, that button's a bootleg. I'm like, all right, well, you know. And he's well, like, you and, know those guys were really uptight about... Oh, did he really? Well, because, you know, that was pretty new at the time. Right. Joey was probably only in the band for about a year at that time. Uh-huh. And I guess I wasn't wearing... An armed and dangerous, a spreading the disease button, so he was mad. Wow. He was really uptight about it. And then I met him at the first Super Bowl of Hardcore, and he walked in with his girlfriend, and uh, he looked at me again and laughed. And I said, fuck you, you little prick. Was his girlfriend Pearl Loaf at the time? I don't know if it's the one he's now married to. Pearl Loaf. Mrs. Meatloaf. Or yeah, M- Meatloaf's yeah. kid. Yeah, daughter. yeah, yeah she's really correct. nice. They got a really cute kid, but yeah. uh, I called her Pearl Loaf. And she, she just walked, she came in, she came in on the front. That's ridiculous. That's really or ridiculous. Or Perloff. I could just combine them. Um, she, came, she came in and with, with Rebel, I think that's their kid's name, um, and it's literally just like skimmed by, rolled by. The door girl had no idea who she was, and she's like, she's like hey, Artie, Artie, some blonde with a kid just rolled. I was like, it's okay, don't worry. It's, <laughs> Like, you know, she's just trying to get a good spot in the, in the room. She doesn't want to have to, you know, yeah. deal with anything. And uh, But it was really funny. And I went, she said, some blogger, I mean, Perloaf? <laughs> As if the whole world knows that name you so, made up. I know, I know. Maybe it's going to get some traction after this podcast. Uh, maybe, Perloaf. <laughs> Copyright. That's a great name for a band. She's, maybe her solo, her new solo thing should be Perloaf. There you go. When what you she think? leaves, uh, what is it, Motor Sister? But no, she she just kind of sings back up in that. Oh, um, she does. She, she's not the main. I think I believe she had her own record uh, a while back. That she's she's got a really great voice. Um, but Frank Bello is very nice, and um, those Scotty Ian stories almost thirty years ago. So God, this guy's still upset okay. about the Scotty Ian thing. No, I'm just, Ron I'm just clearing the air, trying to make it end on a nice note. Nine thousand albums bought later, <laughs> still upset. <laughs> hey, I actually buy Anthrax albums, so I, I, I give the little fuck my money. Did, did, oh shit. <laughs> Hey, right, they I'll just did—they just did a charity event. You I, can't say that, okay? Big props for what they did. Yes, and I still love them as a band. Yes, I never stopped. I—I <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's great. And Joey, Joey was great. And he's—he's—I don't know if he just came from vacation. He's very dark-skinned. I, he's I don't remember him being always that incredibly tan. Yeah, right. He must yeah. live in Florida or Arizona or some shit. Like I've every him, other. I've seen them play in the winter, and he's that tan. So he must live somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, like like yeah, that's not good for you. No. It's actually a he's, bad he's, career move. I, but. I doubt Belladonna's is real. What do you think his real name is? Should we look I, it if up? it's Belladonna, that's absurd. It can't be Belladonna. Yeah, look. No, it I'm going to look it up. I, it, it's it's definitely not like Goldstein or something. No, Scotty it's, Scotty it's and it's probably like right? Scotty and like Rosenberg, right? It is Rosenberg. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, no, I can't be Rosenberg. It I, is or my, Rosenfeld, Rockenfeld, some shit like that. Uh, rock, rock and Rosenfeld. Rosen. Rock and Rosenfeld. <laughs> wow. 
You're just the name king right now. I know. Well, in this in this particular episode, we get into... Oh, no, that was John's episode, the Stainer episode, where we talk about um, Rockowitz. Yes, the guy who Daniel killed, Rockowitz. The guy who killed somebody in his fucking bathtub. That guy was a trip. Rockowitz. It's a, the, Jewish, the Jewish rock club. Come on down to Rockowitz. On, on uh, King's Highway, Brooklyn, Rockowitz. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so Joey Belladonna, uh, Wiki... Joey Bella. Joey it, still sounds great, though. He's got Oh, he sounds amazing. He's so good. He's got to be... Oh, they have his net worth on here? Fuck, really? What's he worth? That. i got to check that shit out. Let me, let me see what his last name is. It's lucky right. those people at the deli across the street don't shake him down. I know. Yeah, they should have. So they just they keep hitting me up for a dollar. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bella, Bella, Bellardini. Oh, okay. So he did... That was smart what he did. Bellardini, yeah. Born Joseph Bellardini, 1960. Although he's lucky he's not a shitty or else they would just call him Joey Primadonna. It's so easy to do. Maybe, maybe they did back in the day. I'm sure when he left for John Bush, they did. Yeah, I'm sure there was shit talk. Well, there was. There was public shit talking. They, about they had some issues. Yeah, we'll let I'm it. glad he's back in the band, though. Oh, yeah. And Armored Saint's back together, so that's always good. You know, Armored Saint, I saw, I saw Armored Saint with Fate's Warning at Sundance. I remember that show. I did not go. Um, another show Ron almost went to. <laughs> yeah. Were you in the vicinity and didn't I know. make it? That night I did don't Did you remember. get stuck outside because you were too busy talking? <laughs> I was probably uh, <laughs> hanging out with a girl and doing something. Oh, like okay. Let's lay off the girls. I think you should go gay for a little while. Okay? <laughs> just so I can let it go. Maybe celibate. I don't know. It's, it's... I, I should just follow Morrissey for a few months. Yeah, but... yeah right. Like he's fucking thin. <laughs> Come on. You I don't believe anything on, 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 When I met Marcy, you should have seen the dudes he was with. They were fucking sexy, beautiful men. I, I'd imagine he they only rolls fucking, with the best. They were fucking sexy as fuck, man. Let me tell you something. I believe that. Joey Belladonna is worth... That's not Joey Belladonna. Is it a different Joey Belladonna? How many Joey Belladonnas could there be? Musician. Yeah, this is kind of... Yeah. So, it's one of these fucking sponsored things where you have to go through like fucking 8,000 things. I got two film. No, I mean, come on! No, I can't find it. I can't. Find it. It's, I'm sure. I'm sure he, he does okay. Joey Belladonna. I imagine. Net worth, biography, wiki. Who doesn't No. What? Give me, give me the fucking number. I just want a number. Jeez. All right, I give up. Fuck it. He's worth something. He he's looks worth good. more than us. Looks, he's definitely worth more than us. <laughs> Put together. Just in everything, on every level, he's worth more than us. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Um, did you buy any good records this weekend? Uh, I actually. Did because I went to a record convention yesterday. So for people who don't know Ron, which I would gather uh, many people list, maybe initially will have just friends, you know, like a band when they first start, and you just play to your friends. I'm still doing that. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, um, Ron uh, has an insane record collection, um, and he's uh, he's he's a true collector at heart. Uh, uh, and he, if you ever see him at a record fair, he's selling his doubles and triples. So, yeah, so um, I can eat. So he can eat, yeah. So buy my doubles and triples. So that's why um, Ron, besides being a good friend, uh, is on this podcast because he knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been to every show. So Except for the ones I tell you about. Except for the ones I he almost went to. In the he's John almost Cena there. Interview. He was there, but he didn't quite make it. It didn't happen. I didn't, Sad I, story. It's, this is going to be the most recurring joke throughout the entire podcast. Yeah, this is going to be my legacy. Podcast. It, Ron, what shows did Ron almost make it Not to? Not what I've done or what I know, <laughs> just what I almost went to. Ron also plays in an awesome band called Death Cycle. Uh, um, Very dysfunctional uh, as well. Sonic. Uh, I'm in Sonic Poison. Sonic Poison. Um, he's been done, done many things. Anyway, so Ron, what records did you buy this weekend? Uh, well, I was trying to be good and it didn't work, but um, I did manage to buy about five records. I bought English Dogs, Forward Into Battle, mm. which I've 
literally bought the week it came out, but I'm such a collector nerd that it was a different pressing. And I love that record. It's when they went from being like a straight punk band and started to cross over low metal. Yeah. And I, it's a great record. And I actually so, want them so to play here. So what pressing was it, Ron? I had the original on Rot Records. This is the Combat Press, which is like the more normal one. And it came out a little later. It's not a gatefold. It doesn't even look half as cool, but I love the record. So wow. that's my third copy because I also have another copy. Holy shit. With a different cover just because I'm, I'm that guy. This guy might have to be put away. I'm going to call an ambulance. I hate record nerds, time. but I guess I am one. So I guess I. Uh, you. <laughs> I mean, they're the worst people, but uh, I'm a severe record collector. I'd like to think I'm not a record nerd because I'll punch you in the face. Severe. Nerds won't. They'll just cry. <laughs> I'm going to get a t shirt. I'm a severe record collector. <laughs> it's so severe. Um, yeah, that's pretty obsessive. I have to say, I've, I've collected stuff before, but I never. And uh, I, I. Well. I, I never collected old punk records, and, and uh, a small secret of mine is that Oasis is one of my favorite bands ever. And uh, Their records are worth a ton of money. Yeah, and I have so many. Um, See, there you go. And I would be the guy, because I, when I was working at Rebel Rebel uh, in the city, my boss, would he was a huge, he was probably the biggest David Bowie collector uh, outside of owning clothes and shit like they that. They always had crazy stuff. At the, well, that was his doubles and triples. I um, can imagine, But, yeah. the, you know, like back then, they would do an Israeli press, a French press, French press, <laughs> um, you know, an English press. Like, there was there was a press for almost every country. Did he get all those? Yeah, so he would have all of them. We sold. Wow. I guess I, I remember selling the uh, Israeli press of like Gene Genie to um, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. That was pretty funny. Really? Yeah, and my and this is a great story. Is my boss, my boss. He looked. Mike McCready was a pretty bad alcoholic um, for a, a while, I, I believe. So we were we were hanging. Uh, he he, well, he bought those. He put he spent eight hundred dollars on two records. Wow. So they were, they were Pearl Jam money. No yeah, joke. No joke. And um, so, but he looked, he, he didn't look homeless, but he looked a little shoddy. And like, my boss was very distrustful of people who would do stuff like that. He's like, so it's got to be a stolen credit card. So he asked to see the Bowie box, which is like, you had to be privileged to see the Bowie I box that. in the back. I've seen it once or twice. And there were three of them. And, you know, so he's like, he looked like, I go, I go to give him the Bowie box and I, I walk back over to this. He's like, you got to keep your eyes on this guy. I don't trust him. And I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. I know I know him. So you recognize the face, but you couldn't place it? Yeah, I couldn't figure out. I was like, I fucking know this guy. Because he, he looked rough. I, I'm pretty sure he was super hungover. And, and, uh, and you know what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and feels like. And, yeah, every day. Um, and they fucking, uh, it, it dawned on me. I was like, give me the credit card slip you just signed. So he hands me a credit card. I was like, That's fucking Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. <laughs> the fuck? He's not a homeless guy. He's not using a stolen credit card. So immediately I was just like, I gave him back and I went back to talk to him and he, me and him had a nice conversation about King Diamond. Um, he's, a, he's a definite metalhead. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And then he was looking for this particular Joe Strummer single that uh, it, we did not have. So I sent him to Revolver Records. Yes. Wow, Revolver. Um, and a couple other places, probably Footlighters, whatever. It was and, a long time ago. Yeah, it was long. It was 1995. <laughs> so the next day, I'm working the Tibetan Freedom Concert as a production assistant. And he, uh, him and Eddie Vedder had played like an acoustic thing to open up the show. And I was in the cafeteria with the other production assistants at getting lunch. And Mike McCready taps me on the shoulder. He's like, <laughs> hey, Artie. I'm like, hey, Mike. Get down. <laughs> he was getting some food like everybody else. And, uh, and I was just like, uh, I was like, yo, you ever get that strummer single? He's like, didn't find it. It's like, bummer. That was it. Everybody else thought I was a star. I was like, it's right. I know Mike yeah. McCready. What's going on? <laughs> and he came up to you. Yeah, and he came up to me. And you know what? Next time I'm in Seattle, I'm going to call him and be like, what's up, guy? Can I stay over? Let's do King Diamond Yo, covers. When my band rolls through, can we stay on your floor? <laughs> That'd be sick. 
I'll bring you a King Diamond pin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's do King Diamond covers together. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'm not good enough. <laughs> I'll sing them. I'll sing. I could do that. Can yeah. you sing like that? I can sing like that. Yeah. But I mean, I, I might challenge you to that one night. Ah, fuck, that'd be fucking sweet. I don't think they have King Diamond on our karaoke. I don't think anyone who walks in here could really do it, so it's probably for the yeah. best. Have you ever seen me and George do Queensryche? I could picture George doing Queensryche. Yeah. It's within his range, I'm sure. Oh, maybe not for an hour, but maybe for a song. No. That's and, a lot. We actually both got separately asked to sing for a Queensryche tribute band. Did you really? From karaoke, yeah. And what song do you do, like Silent Lucidity or like Queen of the Reich? We do Queen of the Reich. Oh, you keep yeah. it real. That's yeah. good. Which, which, metal we, bar, damn which it. we do together, and we've individually tried to do it on our own, and it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but when we take the break in the verses, it's nice, you know. Um, but yeah, we individually both got asked by the same guy to do to sing, and I was just like, I was like, dude, I can do that song, but for an hour, there's yeah, no fucking way. That was exactly my point. I mean, that is, you need a lot of power. Only Todd Latore can do that, and Jeff Tate can't do it anymore either. Oh God, no! That's why they have Todd He's, Latore. He can't do it at all. I'll just say that. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I, he's doing it, isn't he? Is he, he is. doing like Operation he's Minecraft? In a, he's in a Queensryche band. They're both called Queensryche. No, no, it's not called Queensryche anymore. He didn't get, he got, it's... Oh, that's right, he changed it. It's Operation Mindcrime featuring Jeff Tate. Yes, uh, formerly and they're Oga Queensryche, and then they have the guy from what, Vicious Rumors, I believe, singing? It's, it's Todd Latore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is he in Vicious Rumors? He no. was at one point, wasn't he? He sang on one album, I believe. Uh, he challenged Ron, that's I don't, a, that's I could a challenge, easily George. be wrong. That's a challenge. Crimson Glory, the Florida band, yes. He's actually a really good singer. And little known story, his father was a well-known doctor in Florida who killed somebody in a boating accident. His father? Yeah. That's really weird. How do you yeah. know that? My wife's from Tampa. Oh. That's but, funny. I mean, it was on the news and stuff. Uh, yeah. And it happened, I guess, once his son was in the band. And no, no, it happened a long time ago. I think his son was pretty young. Oh, wow. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why I told that story, but, you know, this people love... This sort of stuff. I love so. dumb facts. Yeah, I'm dumb, gonna add that to my repertoire. Dumb facts. Uh, it's a kind of a sad fact, but anyway. Um, so, what else do we have to say about this Johnny Stiff? Podcast? I mean, we went Besides, so far off Johnny Stiff that I know. Yeah, but um, thank God. Yeah, anything but Johnny, <laughs> and you'll agree after you hear it. No, Johnny's a great guy. He's been around way before just about anyone, and he's done it at every level. He used to play in bands. He booked shows. Did a radio show. Drives bands to and from gigs. A true New York character through and through. And a you know, New York punk rock original, to say the least. Yeah. We, we, oh, can you get backstage with that pass, George? Ooh. Backstage at Vitus? That's not easy. I know. It's, that's a tough one. <laughs> There's always a... It was, yeah, Anthrax, Anthrax never made it downstairs, so there was no need for it. The only time I ever saw a security guy there was when Metal of Legion played. You had some, there was some big guy blocking the door. Yo, yeah, they, they asked him to do that. Oh, that yeah, yeah. I don't think he was being paid. Uh, oh, he's just a friend. The only him. other time was when when Nirvana played here. That that's more um, understandable. But that was their own guy. It was their own like they, you know, Dave Grohl's security dude. But they they I'm I was surprised they even did that. You leaving? Bye, George. Bye, Later, George. Bye. What, you can do do whatever you fucking want, man. No, you're worthy. I don't give a you're shit. More, come, more than worthy. Come fucking come say something. Well, yeah, we're, we're recording Drew Thomas uh, in a little bit. This is not the intro for Drew Thomas's episode, but <laughs> you can curse out Johnny Stiff now if you want. That's that would be the proper segue. Ah! <laughs> no, he loves it. He wants he wants to he wants to, he wants to argue with people. 
Johnny's the guy I chose who's 20 years older, twice as loud as everyone, and, and wears insanely hideous shirts. Yeah, they're like the worst. It's more like outfits. Yeah, it's, more, it's, it's, it's a full outfit. outfit. Yeah, the it red hat, the red flame shirt. There's a method to the madness. I haven't figured it out. It's usually like a college baseball team or like just some flaming shirt. He's, uh, they broke the mold when they made this fucking guy. This is, this is very true. I got to turn my phone off when I do these, man. And people are bothering me. Hey, man. You're in demand. Uh, You're cool. Dead Heavens. It's Nathan from Dead Heavens. You guys have a printer at St. Vitus. Just wanted to print out a quick merch price sheet. <laughs> oh, that's the club's job now? Yeah. yeah. Really, Nathan? Really? Really? It's called a marker and paper. I'm fucking calling you out yeah. on this one, man. I'm calling you out. But I'm going to say yes because we do have a printer here. Don't try and use it, patrons. <laughs> Bye, George. Um <laughs> You can't mess up on these things. <laughs> That's the beauty. <laughs> the of whole it. thing is fucking fucked. It's up. been an abortion from the get-go. <laughs> <It's a> fu- <laughs> and on that note, a day glow abortion. Here is Perfect. Johnny Stiff in the automatic crowd. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Shut up, white boy! Johnny Stiff. Johnny, I want to start this before we go into anything. Right. I want to start with uh, a wonderful song by the Day Glow Abortions. Ah, yes. <laughs> that uh, I would, I would, I'm going to read the lyrics and then I, I would like you to explain to me uh, the story behind it. Um, so, the song is called uh, Kill Johnny Stiff. Mm-hmm. We got gigs over here, we got gigs over there, we got gigs everywhere. We ain't playing nowhere. Kill Johnny Stiff, do it now. Kick him in the head, stamp him in the ground. Kill Johnny Stiff, wreck his life. Cut his balls off and feed him to the pit bulls. Or two pit bulls. Don't like the green pants? Don't like the paisley shirt? Don't like rip-off shithead promoters who got a message for you? We got a message for you. We're not the band. We're not your band. Rape Johnny Stiff. Do it now. Fuck him up the ass. Piss in his mouth. Rape Johnny Stiff. Feed him guano. Shred his dick. Give him a barbed wire catheter. Bend over. I'll drive. Boy, they really put a lot of effort into that, didn't they? <laughs> I love them. I should actually uh, beat you up right now. <laughs> That's great. What, uh, what, what's the fucking story? That's what happens when you don't want to pay your guy who's booking your tour. That's what you get. <laughs> Right, right. So you booked a tour for them. <laughs> actually, the Glows actually thought they were bigger than uh, they really were. And uh, they got a little frustrated. I, 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 actually, I prefer the song better than getting paid anyway. It became the NYU uh, closing number. <laughs> did it really? Yeah, it did. They, I like they, it. They fucking gave you a theme song. Oh, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. I loved it. It's, anyway, I got to deal with the Ryan Adam ones lately. He just put out a couple years ago. But What did he do? I didn't know that. He... he uh, 
back in Ryan's crazy days, he used to like to ride in the van with no air conditioning and listening to fucking like heavy metal <laughs> and get fucking buzzed. <laughs> so he put out a song called Ride It With Johnny Stiff. <laughs> I didn't hear the shit. I gotta get fucking permission to play all this shit. Yeah, fucking hell. He was fun. Ryan was fun, man. As long as he didn't bring the Bush girl in the van. It was, it was good. I met him a bunch of times uh, at, at Brownie. So I met High Five when he yeah. was rehearsing in the basement. And he, he, uh, he was always completely fucking shit-based. Yeah. more than me, which is yeah. saying a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Johnny Stiff. We have Johnny Stiff here. It's, uh, I'm Artie. It's Ron. What's up? Welcome to the uh, the mighty automatic crowd, the St. Vitus Bar podcast. <laughs> Johnny Stiff is actually our first guest ever, and he was the first person that Ron and I actually wanted to interview. Uh oh. Brave, brave souls that you are. <laughs> I was actually really worried you were going to get a gig or something while, while you know. No, I, well, you know, it's not that busy, but. Uh. <laughs> um, so, Johnny Stiff is uh, famous for. Nothing. Um, <laughs> he's infamous more than Infamous, yes. Uh, I like infamous better, old actually. School Johnny and the Tear Jerkers, of course. Oh, my God. Uh, 100 pounds ago? <laughs> <laughs> He booked Wetlands for many years. Uh, he did hosted New York NYU's Crucial Chaos. Yeah, well, um, thanks to Marlena, I never would have got on there. There you go. And uh, so, what, what other things you have behind there? Nothing. That's it. No, I, well, I've been laying low the last 16 years, babysitting all you guys. You know. <laughs> yeah, I just, kinda, I, I think I described you as a as a New York City curmudgeon shithead. <laughs> that's, that's Sounds about right. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be upset about that. <laughs> I so, stopped being upset years ago. So, uh, yeah, tell Johnny and the Tearjerkers, what was that all about? Like, 78, 79? 79, yeah, I was with my uh, my brother from another month. Well, who played in that band? Actually, see, the scene was back then, there was actually a lot of Russians in the scene, believe it or not. And, and, and yeah, it was. A lot of Russians from Queens used to be part of the scene. There was a couple of Russians in the band. And they were really good and talented players. And uh, it just fermented from that, like... You know, bad wine or something like that, pretty much. <laughs> you know? Was this Max's or CB's? What was the well, back then? they wouldn't let me play Max's because I wore swastika because I didn't know I was Jewish. So remember, me, me and Joey, Joey from the Misfits, they threw us out of the uh, Max's and they didn't know we were Jewish. They were like, well, uh, hello? <laughs> the irony of it. Well, for some reason, the, the swastikas were banned except for Sid. He was only, he, he had the grace. <laughs> Too. Who? Susie Sue. Well, they, she never played Maxis, though. Uh, okay. Sid played Max. He played Maxis, and, and he wore a swastika. Yes, Sid wore. Yeah, because see, he, he he was Sid. <laughs> we were just, we weren't up that high on the food chain. <laughs> In case anybody's wondering, the hum disappeared because I turned the ice machine off. No. Ah, that, <laughs> yeah. that's good. So you'll see water flowing downstream in about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and all our beer is going to be warm, too. So, uh... So yeah, Johnny. Uh, wow. So what are you? I mean, who else did you see at Max's? Like any anything in particular that you were? Oh, let me see. Well, the first band we ever saw was Eddie and the Hot Rods, and that, those guys looked like that horror movie Invasion of the Saucermen. I never seen anybody so skinny in my life. <laughs> Is that 77? Yeah, because they were getting big on New York radio. Were they junkies? Yeah, I think so. This is, they don't feed you in England. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I just never seen anybody that skinny in my life, man. I was like floored. <laughs> but they were great. Yeah. 
They did like two weeks, which is unheard of today. You'll never see that. They did a two-week stint? Two-week stint at Max's. Every night? Every night. Two shows a night? One, well, I guess pretty much one, because that's all they could handle. all over from Yeah, but they did too well. Max's would feed you. Max's was a steakhouse during the day. That's how they made their money. So they probably gained 10 pounds. Yeah, but they didn't make any money off us dirtbags. Yeah, you know, they didn't make money off of us. But And what's weird was in the daytime, all the suits would come and eat there. But they always had to usher them out before the sun went down. <laughs> and the dregs came. It's yeah. so interesting to me because I wonder if they made, if they, if they had just stayed at a steakhouse, if they would have money. Like, what, what was the impetus behind Max's cooking shows? Well, if they would have had a steakhouse, they wouldn't have made money because at night over there is when the Wild West came out. That's when Union Square Park was like uh, Camden, New Jersey, you know? <laughs> so, and with the suits wouldn't last too long the minute they came out of the bar. So they why there should be a steakhouse till about 7 o'clock? We missed the ball, man. We missed the fucking kitchen. Down here, man. Every time I talk about it, if we ever got closed down or anything happened like that, it's like, well, that stage is becoming an open kitchen and it's just a restaurant. There Perfect. You go. Yeah, there you, you can get all those unemployed uh, black metal guys who used to work at Burritoville. Unholy. Where was Burritoville? I remember that place. It was on Second oh, Avenue. But the, yeah, the one on Second Avenue. And they let you go to the bathroom. And you go down there. Yeah. And it was like Mexican guys didn't speak a word of English, with hair down to their waist, <laughs> listening to like third world black metal. Bur Burrito or something like that. <laughs> Whatever. They always expected like two foot hairs in my like, being burritos. <laughs> That was the best spot. <laughs> Would they have a pipeline from Mexico right there? <laughs> they, they, uh, they just had a fucking closet with a tunnel. <laughs> that place was more metal than any club in New York. Burritoville. Burrito <laughs> I really remember being there. Oh, yeah, it's insane. That is so fucking They just funny. kind of look at me and nod like cavemen. <laughs> hey, I'm going to Burritoville. I want to get some metal and some burritos. These guys. I miss Burritoville. I, you know, people gave it shit, but I enjoyed their salsa. Mmm. Oh, free salsa and chips? I devoured that. It's awesome. What happened? It went out of business? Yeah. Yeah. One at a time. The one on 23rd hung tough, but then... Uh-huh. You know, and they across the street to the diner on 23rd Street. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh. Before Midnight Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a weird store. <laughs> Real weird. Store. <laughs> I never could quite figure that place out. <laughs> no. They had a lot of garage punk and like weird. It was like, I used to go in there like 87, 88. Yeah. just kind of look at you like. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're not a nerd. What are you in my store for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sonics or the Flaming Groovies, they hated you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you you have to be a nerd with weird glasses to come in my stuff. Yeah. It was like such an elitist little... cool. Right, that's the word for it, yeah. Yeah, they were like, they weren't cool, they were just elitist. They had like four friends probably. Yeah, yeah. I worked at Rebel Rebel for years and we were pretty fucking elitist, I gotta say. I mean, the boss wasn't because he had to sell tons of gay circuit dance singles. Nobody's... Nobody's more elitist than Bleaker Bob. He's really the elitist. <laughs> yeah, elitist by charging seventy dollars to European stores for fucking shitty records. And the craziest. I remember seeing Mind Over Matters for seven. Mind Over Matters for seven for like fifty dollars, and I was like, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> and you get him pissed off because he sick the pincher on you. Yeah. <laughs> I went. Totally. To, I went to Bleaker Bob's with my ex girlfriend, and uh, we weren't dating, and she was pregnant. And she grew up on Spring Street, so she knew him. Oh, my God. So she's like five months pregnant. And she walks in with me, and he's like, oh, my God, your tits are great. <laughs> Leave me alone. What? <laughs> oh yeah, he was bad. I got to a fight with my ex-girlfriend. He he tried to molest her. 
Bob's being the age of the internet. Uh, gold. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking gold. <laughs> and then, um, and then after that, he's like, oh, he's like, you must be like a swamp down there. It must be so. Oh my. Down there. God, I would have killed him. I would have wrung his like, neck. Okay, you want to smack this motherfucker? Yeah, good call. Bob, just stop. Oh my wow. God, wow. he was always it like was that. A different time, man. Before people carried video cameras. <laughs> pockets, Before you got reviewed on the internet, like Bob commented on my breasts and told me how wet my pussy. Was. <laughs> You know, that, those would be great, like, uh, I don't know if those were... You weren't around when he was trying to use a bodyguard oh, for the yeah, class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at Bob, that's what I was thinking of. No stars. You weren't around when he, when he was a bodyguard for the clash. He thought he was a bodyguard for the clash, and Joe's like, what Did the... Did he just make himself a bodyguard? But Joe's like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Did you know Joe Strummer? We only met him, like, once or twice. Um, there was an old club called um, Peppermint Lounge, and one time... Um, we were all hanging out. I think the upstarts were playing. And he saw us all hanging out and he started like bantering at the door. Everybody's coming in with me. And the guy looked at him like he's crazy. <laughs> sure enough, the guy opened the door and like 20 of us came in with Joe leading the way. <laughs> yeah. He was, they were huge or not yet? Uh, they were, no, they were big. It was like 81, 82. Oh, so they'd yeah, they, had already made, they already made it. But he was always, Joe pretty much, I mean, the, the band made it and those guys might have got up there a little bit, but Joe was always down here. He was just like, he had a, yeah, he wouldn't really want to go up there. I mean, he, his music career was up there, but his heart was always like, I'm, I'll stay down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll stay down here. Yeah, yeah, I'll stay down here. I like it here better. <laughs> I'm not going up there, you know? He was a good guy. Yeah, he was. Even though I hate the Clash. No, you can't hate the Clash. It wasn't for the Clash. 80% of this music wouldn't exist. If you would have seen that first tour. I hate the Ramones, too, though. Ah! Your age, your age is showing. Ah, come on, come on. Your age is showing. Come on. What do you hate, zebra too? They're from Long Island. New Orleans. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's right. And I think I've seen zebra more than any band I've ever seen. Yes, might be competing with it now at this point. But zebra, zebra's first album is fucking awesome. Tell me what you want. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, they dude. I have Randy Jackson's phone number. I'll call him. Let's call Randy. I've been trying to get him. Let's call Randy. Play for five fucking years. He won't play. No, he'll get. He wants the Randy Jackson band to play. It's like I, I want him to play. Come and play acoustic. Because anytime we have a cover band or something, it's like he's oh, great acoustic. Yeah. I mean, all I, just come in and play Zeppelin songs, do some Zebra, I'm good. They're doing a cover band tonight at Knitting Factory, straight to hell. Are you serious? The Clash cover band. I'm not going to. <laughs> Why would I go see a fucking Clash cover band? I'll stick to Razor and Bat tonight. <laughs> I wish this was going out tonight and I could be like, Razor and Bat. <laughs> eventually, eventually, when we live stream. But yeah, um, so, all right, so we're at, we're at 1980. What happens in 1980? Johnny and Tia break up. What are you doing? Get married, have a kid. Okay. Do one last gig. How old Shit. It's got to be 40. 36. 36 it's going right? to be 36, yeah. Yeah, 30. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good, pretty <laughs> good. Yeah, it is, pretty good. It's 2020, was a number. You <laughs> <laughs> rounded off. Shit! You rounded off. So you have a 36-year-old. I've never seen him. It was like a shotgun wedding. You got to marry my daughter or else, or else what? <laughs> Okay. So you got married and then yeah. divorced? Yeah, I didn't stick around for a while. I did my last. We did our last gig I did was with uh, Nick Martin when I was playing the Stimulators and uh, Whitey from uh, Hula Lords opening for UXA at Tier 3. We did like a couple, a few cover songs. And I says, okay, I'll get into the babysitting part of this now. 
about recordings? Anything? You told me once that you guys had recorded. Yeah, we had a tape and then it you got lost stolen. The tape, yeah. Lost the, the tape. Copy, of course. <laughs> lost the tape. It's up there. It's up there now with Iron Cross from Brooklyn, which you never heard of. No, I haven't. Yeah. Punk or metal? Well, like a hard rock band from 81, 80. I was say, there's a million bands that have been called Iron Cross. Yeah, I know. There's so many bands that have lost a or the the from Jersey, the original punk band. The original the the. Yeah, <laughs> from fucking who opened up for the Police back in the day, and they were really they were really good. Had to see these. Yeah, they were a great punk band too. It's a lot of bands, you know. Put out a tape and just you know. Did just, you guys make a demo? Or was this a rehearsal? And you guys. I think it was just a rehearsal out. tape. We were very visual. I met people coming from L.A. take pictures of it. We did a Club X show. And uh, we got over 200 people on it because we opened the night. And we're more visual than talented. We weren't really that good. But visually, we're like, I had, I had the orange spandex with the dog collar and the oh white guy. It was like, there was like, there was like. Johnny and the Tea Jerkers reunion were getting the spandex. The, 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 the people from L.A. were like, holy mother of God, look at this fucking dude. <laughs> you know, it was fun. That style, no substance. <laughs> it was just out there. Was it, was it punk? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was punk band. Yeah. It was a punk band. Right, so you get married, you have a kid, uh, you get divorced, I'm guessing shortly after. Uh, I guess. I don't know. That I never knew. <laughs> uh, are you still locked down? Oh, no. Nobody's ever contacted me. I'm hard to get hold of, though. You know what I'm saying? You've got my cave in the sky. That's true. I got your phone. Yeah, I know. You got Music it. Music scene. You're a <laughs> One day you're going to show up for one of, your, one of your van gigs and it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> no, my, my my son's not into it. She that family kept him far away from this. Really? Oh yeah, far away. Because you know if he would have been, you know, you live in the area. Yeah, I, I don't know. Wait, been so like, oh, you don't even know. No, no. Where were you living at this time in Queens? Well, in Queens? Well, you're, you're, you're Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I, I only time I lived in Queens was in '79, and it was an interesting spot. It was in like a. Couple blocks from Northern Boulevard, around the corner from Rockets Red Glare, the fattest junkie I ever knew in my life. <laughs> Come over to the house, okay? Rockets opens the doors. Three hundred fifty pound man with a needle in his arm and blood running. Oh my God! I gotta go, Rockets. <laughs> I see you later. <laughs> yeah, that's a junkie get that fat. Yeah. Don't ask me, man. Well, yeah, maybe heroin made him hungry. That's true. I mean, he had like. Well, he had a. He did have a legendary fight in the donut shop around the corner from the Mug Club. I had to run for the hills. <laughs> Time for me to go. <laughs> this, is, this is super local. <laughs> so, so, when you, so where did you live in Brooklyn at the, at the time of the child and all that stuff? Uh, I was in Bay Ridge, which was really weird because they were just starting to get like a little punk scene over there. Like on Fifth Avenue, Bay Ridge, there was like a, I remember there was like a punk radio show and they used to advertise flyers over there. But whenever I walked down there with my wife, traffic stopped, of course. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know, especially with the kid. But it's, it's like this is like 80, 81, yeah. Right, about probably like a year or two before Lemoore's opened. Yeah. Right yeah. But at that time, Lemoore's was like, you know, the metal and punk was like at war for years. Oh, yeah. It was just like. All through the 80s. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. But, you know, CB's kind of mellowed it out a little bit. Yeah. It kind of that kind of melded out yeah, a little bit. Got like but, <laughs> but the metal and hardcore kids were the ones that really got along. The metal and punk kids never really got along. That was the thing. People didn't realize that. The metal and hardcore kids eventually, you know. Eventually, definitely. Get, yeah, but the me to this day, metal and punk kids don't really get along. Even to this day. Really? You think so? No. I mean, a good punk crowd does not want some, like, you know, 
Somebody go see he's like, you know, like a punk crowd. Like, I like. Ron goes there. Yeah, but it's Ron. But Ron's an open-minded guy. How many metal kids are like, into what yeah. Ron, you know what I'm saying? I was going to see these back then. Like, right. Like, but like, I just think nowadays with the internet that everybody's kind of, they're, they're so, the specific genre thing is kind of lost. There is, of course, there's a fashion part of it. I just can't see. I don't think it's left is the fashion part of it, actually. Right. Because I think the kids now, if you like similar bands and you drink, everyone coexists. But then people are more territorial based on their identity. I just can't see a I just can't see a US bombs kids going to fucking see Napalm Death. Doesn't work. No, but I don't think they're gonna fight either. Huh? I don't think they would fight. I don't think they're gonna fight. Well no, but they just don't hang out. I mean when the exploited played with typo negative or biohazard. Yeah, that's yeah, but that's of course they're on the same label. Well, it was also because of politics. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're saying yeah. fuck the USA in front of the biohazard <laughs> type of negative crowd. But by that time, by that time, they weren't doing fuck the USA they even. Did. Yeah? Yeah. That was, you know, that was the first song they ever played in America. Was it? Yeah. I give them props. I mean, they stood their ground. Yeah. That was the first song you ever played in America. First time they ever played. The first tune they ever did went right to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Cut right to the chase. I, uh, <laughs> I did a tour where I, I drove and did merch for Shelter. Opening for, oh, Lord. <laughs> And Christian Dash. Oh, wow, that's a bill. That's a bill. Yeah, they threw, the, the drummer came out and threw all the fucking merch into I, the crowd. I caught <laughs> Which drum? Typo's set. <laughs> Christian Death just walks out and throws out all their fucking merch. He's like, fuck this band. <laughs> fuck this band. We just broke up and I caught 25 long sleeves. They landed on me. The Christian Death? And six of drums and Jesus Christ on them. And I just started handing them to the kids. I'm like, I don't need these. Here I have merch that, for shelter, like Christian Beads, next to these fucking sex and drugs. Like, uh, it was the fucking most ridiculous thing I've ever dealt with. That's great. People up. Like, we played, uh, we played uh, Old Bridge, New Jersey. And like the fucking crowd there, that oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that place. The fucking crowd there, and they, they <laughs> just kept coming. Yo, are those like real Krishna beads? <laughs> <laughs> and one day I said, yeah, and you know how much they pay? Yeah, they're twenty ten dollars. You know what they pay for them? Fucking five cents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. all right, Krishna. Steve Reddy, all right, Krishna. The Long Island show. <laughs> to go back to the Long Island show for a second. Um, I my, I want my ex girlfriend. She was more on the typo negative tip. She didn't know who the fuck sheltered. <laughs> Ray comes up to her at the bar. She's buying a drink. She's a really pretty girl, so he comes up to her, and I think he's kind of hidden on her. And he's like, "There's so many more positive things you can do than drink a beer." So without even blinking, I'm just standing there. She goes in her pocketbook. She lights a cigarette and blows the smoke in his face. <laughs> I wish I could have been there for that. Ray just put his head down and walked away. And I was like, "That was the singer of Shelter, you know." I wish I could. I wish you could have been there for that. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was interesting. That's amazing. Holy shit. Yeah, I would have killed you seeing something like that. that was, oh, yeah. That was classic. <laughs> that whole night was bizarre because... Who the hell put that package together? Pete Steele put it well, together. Oh. They were signed. Everybody was signed. Well, not Christian Depp, but... Roadrunner with the typo yeah. shelter connection. Yeah. Christian Depp, I think, it was just Pete's yeah, choice. Sure. Yeah, yeah, Pete that liked that. Pete. So that whole tour was fucking weird because Pete... Yeah. Yeah. So you did the whole U.S. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was two weeks. Um, but uh, uh, it was right around when Pete Steele had that Playgirl thing. Yeah, he came running up to the club with that thing in Wetlands at the booth. Look, 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 Johnny. Like, wh what the fuck am I looking at? What are you, nuts? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? It was, like, it was like the fucking 80s Sunset Strip shit. There was like, 
women online outside their bus. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Minutes each, and like it was just they just keep going, and I was, you know, like, we're fucking touring with Shelter. All they're doing is fucking chanting. We're going, <laughs> we're staying, we're staying at all these guys who later we found out were pedophiles. Who I knew were fucking pedophiles, and we were staying with them because they were creepy as fuck. I remember this. This one dude in DC, I was, I was like, well, I was looking for the camera in the shower. I was looking for it. Like, Where the fuck is it? Krishna's posing. They, they, they were, were like, they were like these weird Krishna benefactors. You know what I mean? They would get, oh, and, and bad, like, shady shit. They're all fucking rich. It was the weirdest fucking thing I've ever dealt with. I swear to God. And I love the guys in Shelter. John Pacelli is the funniest man I've ever met. In my <laughs> yeah, I agree I with that. I told him he should do stand up at Krishna <laughs> temples only. <laughs> He's like, and you know what Vishnu said? Ah, man, you know, it's just like the funniest shit ever. And he had he had two rules of life. Uh, he's gonna kill me. I'll probably have to edit this out. But I gotta hear it. Go ahead. Actually, I can't remember the third one. The first one was uh, never trust anybody who doesn't like the Smiths. The <laughs> Smiths, especially at the time I agreed with. Um, and you know, I had a fucking full pompadour. I was, I was I was in full Marcy mode. Oh my and, uh, lord! And um, never start a fight with an Asian guy because you never know. <laughs> no, no, what? <laughs> I, this is like words of wisdom with Vinny Stigma. Thank you. Thank you. Marcel would be horrified. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> He's He's subject. That. <laughs> He'd be horrified. Um, next thing you know, like. Purcell was one of the first people to move over here. You should say, you should go hang out with here. Siv. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God. Uh, all Nazis. God, Jesus Christ. So, all right, so we're moving into the 80s. So what what you what happened to you in the eighties? What'd you do? Well, uh, we started hanging out at A seven. That's when A seven started popping up. You know, going to all those shows over there. It was uh. Was that eighty one or eighty two? Eighty one. Well, A seven originally started late eighties with the False Prophets. They were one of the first bands to play over there, and then pretty much eighty one was like the birth of the New York hardcore scene. The early eighty one when all those bands Harley and you know Urban Waste, the Mob, and Harley stuff started popping up. That was like. Early, early 81 was pretty much the start of that whole new scene. And the punk scene just kind of faded away pretty much that early. Heartbreak is tight. Yeah, the 70s. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of faded. You know, It faded into the back burner. It was still there. It didn't really go anywhere, but it just went, it went underground, which is the best way to describe that. And the other stuff took prevalent scene. Occasionally, it would surface like uh, about a year or two later when MDC came to town with a whole bunch of hardcore bands like Dix and DRI. And for some strange reason, they had the Joneses open. <laughs> which made, From California. Yeah, which made no sense at all. <laughs> total, total punk rock. Yeah, yeah. And they were great. Uh, I love them. But it's just like, huh? How does this work? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's weird. Especially DRI. Right. And they had the Joneses open up. Very weird. But it was weird. Like, sometimes the punk would filter. Like, another one at Ghostly's was they had SSD control play and they had legal weapon open up. And the abuse. And Legal Weapon was a punk band, but the kids loved her because she was hard and heavy. And even the straight edge kids were like, whoa. <laughs> so she got, you know, she started really kicking well, ass. harder than the Joneses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Joneses is like 50s rock and roll meets like heartbreak. But it was always tough for the women back then. You know what I'm saying? It was. And, but so the women, you know, the smarter women would bring it. And the guys were like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. I assume the band that bridged these two scenes from the 70s punk to hardcore was the Bad Brains. Yeah, totally. I'd agree with that. You and know. didn't you, um, you told me some stories about booking them at a deli or something. You were briefly booking shows at a deli. Well, what happened was, in, uh, <laughs> it's great. He's Ron, 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 Ron's, Ron's spot on. Uh, back then, there wasn't that many clubs. 
You had a Roz Uptown, which was like a former ballet studio, which is the greatest story in the world, if you ask me. They did a lot of new age stuff, too. No, well, the, the birth of Roz, I, I love it. It's the greatest. There used to be a store called Natasha on St. Mark's Place where Cheetah would hang out with. That I will say, a fucking dirtbag named Spacely, you know? And they would hang out. We all hung over there once in a while. And somebody came up from Uptown and said they had this ballet studio and they want to, like, book some punk rock fans. And I remember me and Cheetah looking at each other. This guy on fucking heroin? What's this, what's this guy's problem? You know what I'm saying? And Cheetah was like, well, go talk to my manager, Hilly. You'll, you know, if you got some money, we'll come up there and play. And we didn't think much of it. And sure enough, they took out an ad in The Voice like a month or two later. Opening new club, grand opening, opening band, the Dead Boys. And I'm like, oh, my God, wow. this is going to be insane. <laughs> it was pretty big, but when we got there, it's a legendary story. When we got there to open up the club, we go in. The floor is, like, buffed, really shiny. And this is when we were real dirtbags back then. Let me tell you, you don't bring, you didn't invite us to dinner, you know. <laughs> so the floor is really shiny. There's couches and pillows everywhere. And I'm like, oh, this place is going down. <laughs> this place is going down. So by the time the dead boys get on, they open up with Sonic Deuce. So the place is fucking packed. There's fights everywhere. And the place is just, like, totally like a tornado in the fucking middle of the place. By the time they were done, Stiv had hung himself. There were sparks flying from the neck. The guy is freaking the fuck out. <laughs> you know? There's broken glass couches everywhere. And he's like, after all that, he's done. Hey, that was pretty good. Let's keep doing that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, go ahead, knock yourself out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty it was pretty nuts back then. I mean, that's when the Dead Boys were the Dead Boys. They were pretty much one of the top bands in the world back then. You know, they could really bring it back then. So, how did you end up working at Delhi? Well, what happened was the Delhi. Getting back to the Delhi. So there was only a few clubs like CB's, Max's, and Hurrah's. I'm in the many clubs. Occasionally, Irving Plaza, which is called Club Fifty Seven, and the Aquarian used to come out. It was the Aquarian and the Voice, and sometimes you'd see um, clubs pop up, booking punk shows once in a blue moon at the Aquarian. So we were trying because the tearjerkers had gotten banned from every place because of you know because of my nutness. So we saw it, uh, this club. <laughs> so we saw it. Yeah, really. So we saw an ad for this club in the city, and we're like Fifth Avenue and Seventeenth Street. Like he's booking like rock bands. We're like what the hell is going on? It was like two blocks of Max's. So remember, we walk over there. And, like, we just come from rehearsal, so I'm all dressed down, me and my bass player are there. And we go to see this club. It's like a delicatessen. He's got it closed. It's dark. But he's got his son in there trying to book these rock bands. And there's, like, five or ten people in there on a Friday night. And these people, the dad was the sweetest guy in the world. I love this dad. What's the matter? Are you look poor? You? That was a noise. Something came to life. Something oh, came yeah, to life. Okay. <laughs> it's a printer. Big contracts are coming. <laughs> It's the anthrax contract. Blue M&M's, please. Okay. <laughs> so the father, I got to say, and I'll say this to this day, the sweetest man I ever met in my life. I loved him. And to this day, I still love him. And I see the poor kid. He's basically overwhelmed here. He has, <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing. I felt so bad. And I see like five or ten people here at this place. And the father's trying to you know, book a club for this poor kid. So I said, listen, I'll come in here, I'll bring my band in, I'll do a Friday night here, and I'll pack this place out. And the father looks at me like, saying to himself, holy shit, is this weirdo really, really going to do it? <laughs> and we uh, booked the opening night. 
with my band, and Butch Lust was the opening act. Uh, yeah, 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 he opened wow. the night. And my friend Harry's other band, the Ultimates, and we put over 200 people in there each night on Friday and Saturday. The father was in love with me. That's <laughs> it. Oh, we're, sure. we're, we're, we're on. <laughs> you know? So the club lasted like three or four months. We had like Pure Hell, Violators, Stimulators played there. And it ended, and I had to pull the plug on it because we were starting to take money away from Max's. And one night, the, this place had a lot of windows. And mysteriously, on a cold night, now you only would know this if you do bars. This place had a lot of windows, and it was a really freezing night. Somebody came by and smashed all those guys' windows. And I know it was Max's. Yeah, yeah. And he wanted to continue, and I'm like, no. If I got a problem with Max's, it's going to be me and Max's in the middle of Park Avenue South. You are not getting involved in this. You are the nicest people I ever met. And I will never do that to you because I love you guys. And, and maybe it's just time to move on. And, you know, we had a little run. But How many uh, shows did they have doing about? Uh, we ended up doing like 16 shows, like three or four months of shows. So we had a little run. We had, it was one of the most craziest places as I ever seen in my life associated. One time we had a free beer night. We charged like Jesus, three, three, yeah. <laughs> and you no, know, but it was great because <laughs> it was three dollars. You get a can of beer back then, which was a big thing. And we had like four bands. Now it was on Fifth Avenue, Seventeenth. The line was almost up to Sixth Avenue. Cops wow. like, what the fuck is going on here? How <laughs> they, did anybody make any money? Because we still charged like three or four dollars to get in, and he only gave up one can of beer. You didn't pay the bands? Oh yeah, we paid the bands. Everybody got paid. Because you got six hundred dollars at the door. $600 doesn't pay. Back then, we're talking 1980. <laughs> yeah, 1980 prices. Yeah, we're talking 1980. We're not yeah, talking 26. Like $200 a month rent or something. Yeah, yeah, so we're talking like then, so that's what is good. We know time we did like three, four. You're pure hell. They're coming from Philly, so you were having out of state bands. Yeah, they didn't even make much money, and I love those guys. We got arrested that night, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and uh, Lenny were putting up flyers on St. Mark's Place in our, we had one white guy all freaked out and one black guy all the way, the cops just rolled up and said, okay, you clowns, let's go. <laughs> Arrested for being punk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, here you go. Punk is not crying, man. Yeah, but that's how it was back then. You had to like be, you know, always find new places. But then after that, like I said, A7 came and things changed really dramatically. You know, that's when Hilly started... Hilly was doing mostly punk stuff, and he, after he saw what's going on with A7, that's when he started booking hardcore. Because Killer Instinct of False Prophets were like the first bands to play over there. They were really good, and you, things changed really quick. <laughs> I'll just say to that. You know, but it was fun back then. Everything went by really fast. How do you look back at A7 in hindsight? It was pretty much perfect for what it was. You know, feuding with Boston bands, threatening to kill them. <laughs> you Do you know? think um, he was getting too big to be in that small room? That yeah, well, that's true. I agree with that. That's why we had Gildersleeves. Gildersleeves was a big club. Right, that was much bigger. Yeah, that was one of the bigger places. I think he might have threatened like 700 people over there, 600 people. Wow. Uh, it was a big, you're starting to get big. It was, hardcore was really blowing up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the scenes were really weird because for New York... You know, the New York scene and the Philly scene were kind of camaraderie, and the D.C. was more like the rich boy scene, and Boston was the douchebag scene. <laughs> so, so, it, yeah, so, so when, you know, the New York 
kids, like they tolerated the DC kids. A lot of them liked the DC kids. They knew they were rich boys and stuff because New York was like a street scene. You know, it was street kids. Well, the DC bands were very intimidated. They all said it when they came. Yeah, but the only DC bands that weren't intimidated were like Iron Cross and Scream because Skeeter's a street guy. You know, he had Skeeter. You know, and everybody, we love Skeeter. You know what I'm saying? And Iron Cross was definitely from the streets. Like, that was more of the street for the rest of the bands. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, but Philly was also a street scene, totally street scene. Philly was a big punk town, too. Back then, Philly was the biggest punk scene on the Eastern Seaboard. If you were a punk in New York, usually you went down there to hang out with sadistic... Bigger than that, really? Yeah, sadistic exploits and decontrol. Those were the big punk bands. You hung out with them. Because there were skinheads there, but the skinheads felt comfortable everywhere but there. They were outnumbered. <laughs> Philly had a lot of punks. That wasn't never, you know, where New York would get a lot of skins and maybe like Boston. It's funny because the Philly bands didn't get much attention. No, it was sad because they were really great. And one of the best hardcore bands ever actually came from there was Wide Die. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, I remember a great story of Ian seeing them for the first time. And back then, Jackal weighed about 280 pounds. And we, we, we booked them at Gildersleeves to open up for Minor Threat. He had never seen them before. He comes out. He sees Jackal screaming about killing his family. And Ian's like, white as a sheet. He's going to kill me. <laughs> hey, you know, because you know, that's what was his song. But Jackal was a sweetheart. You know, that was just one of the songs he played. But yeah, you know, everything kind of blew up really fast. And. You know, you know the rest pretty much. <laughs> yeah. The mid '80s, when I got into it, it was uh, it was changing rapidly. Yeah. I came in. I started listening to hardcore lately. What year did you come in? You think '84, '86? When I started going to shows, started listening in '84, but okay. started going to shows in New York in '86. Yeah. And uh, you know, the whole crossover thing was exploding. Yeah, it started with AF was the one that probably opened up the door in COC. Locally, uh, AF for sure, and the Crumb Suckers. Yeah, I would say well, the Crumb Suckers too, but the Crumb Suckers later. I mean, the Crumb Suckers were always an in, what they call an introverted band. They always were. They had really, really talented those guys. Yeah, they were beyond the hardcore scene. Yeah, they, mean, they grew where they were supposed to be. But so were the abused. They could play. The abused will also play. In fact, everybody back then the, thought the abused were going to be the big New York band. That broke through, yeah. Yeah, they thought they were going to be the big New York band, but they just imploded. You know, well, the straight edge didn't help because they weren't straight edge. <laughs> yeah, well, the straight edge, when they certainly weren't part of that. No. They well, coming from Long Island, like, it was Crumb Suckers and Ludacris were the two bands. Crumb Suckers and Crackdown, not Ludacris. Ludacris came later. Well, but Crackdown didn't get as big. Crackdown yeah. Crackdown can never get their shit together. I know, but Crumb they were. Crumb Ludacris got record deals. Right, they got record deals. And then, so they were the bands that took it. I was right. Crackdown, actually the same time yeah but they were playing strictly hardcore shows and they they couldn't really get off they couldn't get past new york well that's before the guy was in crumb suckers was he was in crackdown that's yeah. why he was in crackdown yeah that's where yeah then that singer from crumb suckers did not want to sign a record contract that's why he quit he did yeah he didn't want to sign a record contract i don't know what story was that i had no idea but they uh, approached him about signing with the label and they was like i don't want to do it I met him about a month after Life of Dreams came out. I was wearing a Crumb Sucker shirt. Yeah. He came up to me, he's like, God, Crumb Suckers? I'm like, yeah, I love him. He's like, I'm the old singer. Those guys <laughs> fucked me over. Of course they did. He had some valid points. He was, he's like, those are all my lyrics except for one song. Yeah, he's like, actually right. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, he was in the band from 82 to the end of 85. You're right, you're right. And then Combat came around. And the story I had heard was that, was that? they the... weren't happy with his vocals. Combat. And that they, when they wanted to sign him, and that's when they took Chris. I think that's just. I, don't know if that's I think that's just a smokescreen. Yeah, 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 that's just a smokescreen. But it's definitely all his lyrics. I mean, all those songs are released now with Dave, the original singer. Oh, they are. Yeah, that stuff all got reissued. It's wow. Like, two or three demos, a bunch of live stuff. 
There's even stuff from Beast on my back. Is there any crackdown released with Chris? Not officially, no. That's what needs to get released. They reissued the seven inch. They put like a live track on it. With Chris. That's it. Yeah. No, not with Chris. Oh. Yeah. The only thing with Chris is the Montreal New York live album. Oh, that has Chris. That's that right. That has Chris. Yeah. I think that's um, Freedom. Right. Freedom. Yeah, he was great that in Crackdown. I loved him in Crackdown. He was really when good. I saw him seeing Crackdown. He had just left. Right. And Jason just coming. Yeah. yeah. Jason was good also. They had, oh, they, he was great too. They had two good singers. They were lucky. They were, that, they were actually, you know, it's hard to get two, two good singers. Oh, definitely. Especially in Long Island. <laughs> I mean, trust us. <laughs> we grew up You know what Long Island was like? Cracked actor. You ever see that seven inch? Yes. You know what they were originally? They were a Van Halen cover band that put out a punk single. I believe that. <laughs> I believe they went into the world's worst pop rock band. Yeah. I don't know the name. The pizza, the pizza place in my town, the guitarist worked at. Yeah. Oh, we showed up at classic loyalty. Uh, Tommy Tommy Christ worked at a, a gas station. I remember when I was in high school and we used to go to like go, go see it like you'd be like I think somebody made a joke about that it was near a high school and that's, that's why he worked there. He might, <laughs> he might, he might, have, made he might have made that himself. That. Yeah, that's probably a in the, in hindsight though this pizza place was pretty punk because uh the singer Ron from Nihilistics used to eat there every day. Oh, when I was in my first In his limo? <laughs> oh my god. And, uh, outside. Yeah, so my first band ever, it was like 1985, we'd go there every day to eat. And the guy who made the pizzas was the guy from Cracked Actor. And Ron from oh, used to eat there every day. And we'd come in from like, we were the world's worst, like, thrash death metal band. We were kids, and we'd go in there, and we, we loved the Nihilistics. And that guy got in the conversation, and uh, we would just sit there and talk. And we were like little kids. And then we heard the post-cracked actor band and it was the worst shit on earth. On Death Records before the other Death Records. The yeah, the original Death Records. The original Death Records. Yeah, I don't before know. it became the big crossover label. Yeah, I don't know how they pulled that off, but I don't know if they they copyrighted it. I don't know how that worked. It probably, it probably copyright. They probably just put out a single or two and that was it. Yeah. You know? I remember we went to go see them at my father's place, which is the legendary Long Island Club. Oh, oh, yeah, that's God the bless them. Uh, yes. My father's place. Good oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Black flag. Black flag and the Black sluts. Flag. So, so my father's place had with my thread, I believe. No, they had punk and hardcore shows. There? Yeah. Yes, they did. Wow. I think Plasmatics as well played. My yeah, I think Plasmatics. that you're right. I think you're right about that. So famous for the Twisted Sister, Zebra, fucking. For our generation, it was rats. it was the hard rock band? metal bands coming up. Yeah. But it, they had a lot of punk as well. They had a lot of punk and hardcore. I remember we saw we saw Cracked Actor there because we liked the single when the single came out. So if we go, let's go see what this band's about, and they got up and they looked like Eddie Van Halen and something like that. Oh my lord! <laughs> and this is back then. We're like, Were they just jumping on the bandwagon? I don't know what it was. So they did. All these really weird songs, then they saved their punk stuff for last. Like the last two songs, they did on. They did, oh, well, so they did the Van Halen type stuff. Yeah, they, 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 the <laughs> yeah, they ended with the punk stuff, and we're like yawning back there. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, they got into like, no, was it Nazi school? Is that what it was? Yeah, the they jump into that. We're like, oh, finally. <laughs> Speaking wow. of my father's place, if you YouTube it, uh, there's an amazing. <laughs> all right, Johnny Stiff Part Two. Oh, and Ron. And Ron. Well, so, Ron, but Ron's the fucking host. Yeah, but he's still here. He's not Casper the Friendly Ghost, man. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't say who I was. Okay, everybody knows yeah. you anyway. Dude, come on. We're man. established. You're yeah. established. <laughs> we're, our first, it's our first podcast. We're obviously established. established. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> we're quite professional. So you were saying that, uh, that hardcore shows now are, are old guys on stage and young kids in the crowd. Pretty much. Because, because of the internet, you could live in an, any year you want. Do you think that creates a revisionist history? Because the older guys aren't on the internet as much. Well, it, well, because there's the internet is good and bad for some reasons. That's pretty much on the bad side of the internet is 
now you can basically, if I want to live in 1983, I can live in 1983. I can dress in 1983. I can go see bands from 1983. I don't have to see bands from 2016. Because there's still bands from 1983 playing. Hardcore bands, whatever band I want to see. I could be in 1983. And the internet will allow you to do that. But the atmosphere is different. The atmosphere is different, but the kids, some of the kids are really young. It's like all of a sudden beating an early hardcore scene. If you think about it, you close your eyes, you look at the kids around you. It's in the early 80s, all over well, you. The early 80s thing is back, and it has been for about five years. Yeah, years yeah, it is, yeah. The new generation of kids are listening to stuff I listened 30 years ago, and then they start bands that sound just like the bands I listened to. Which is weird, because did you imagine me in the 70s walking around with a Glenn Miller t-shirt? I'd be committed. <laughs> Rightly so. Right, okay. Think about that. No, but it's true. It is. I mean, but there's that age-old argument with hardcore. When hardcore tends to grow... More times than not, it loses what's special about it. But then, as musicians, you get bored. And well, yeah, I, it's a I, I agree. Too. I, I agree. Heard, like, get, like I remember, Minor Matter was called "quote unquote" progressive hardcore, and I was like, "There's no that means you're not hardcore anymore." Right. There's no progression yeah. in hardcore. Hardcore is what it is. I would say, if you don't like Madball, you don't like hardcore. That's fucking hard. Hardcore is also a very physical music. You have to be in shape. Because if you're not, you're going to get a heart attack. <laughs> That's why the older bands that come around yeah, now, yeah, nice. they have to duplicate it sound-wise pretty well. But I mean, you know, one of the only bands I think, I mean, John Joseph can bring it. So he's in shape. He's immaculate. Those guys can bring it. Yeah, I he's in. Other bands and bands I'm friends with, I mean, it's fucking painful. But dude, did you see Youth of Today's, the videos of Youth of Today from This Is Hardcore? They look great. Jesus Christ. Are they in shape? Yeah, yeah you have to. You have to. fucking yoga teachers. That's what I'm saying. You have to be. You have to be in. You, you have to be in shape. If you're not in shape, you're going to pass out. You're going to drop dead. Yeah, it's. It's a physical music. It's a Huh? Anybody can do it for half an hour. No. You've been no, so, no, no. It's very physical music. Bands, I mean, same thing with same thing with metals with heavy metal. With, he's in shape. Brandy's in very good shape. And he just screams incoherently like Darby Crash. Right. It's like, totally. It's easier. He's just like growling. Brandy, Brandy never stopped singing either. He's always been yeah. performing. He did like a hyena. Yeah, he's been performing for 35, 36 years. It's not like Barry Hensel from Necro Society. He's gonna go out and play hardcore again. He'll drop dead after the second song. He was fat back then. Could you imagine him now? <laughs> sure. I worked for him. He was in Big Chief. <laughs> yeah. They were a great band back then. I want you to know that. Awesome, yeah. They were yeah, great. They were, they were great. They, they were like the forgotten sub pop touch and go. Kind well, of. what happened was they had a fight. And the reason why you don't see their records is Corey destroyed all the masters. That's why you never see a proper Necros release. Really? He destroyed everything. I don't know what happened with that. That's why if you realize you ever go, you never see a Necro CD release. All you'll see is a boot or whatever. You'll never see a proper release. They've all been destroyed. <laughs> Every day, all been destroyed. Oh, no, all been destroyed. That's why the records are probably the most valuable out there. The singles are really... Sex Drive is like worth incredible yeah, amount of money, man. You'll never see that. Yeah. You know, definitely see that. All right, so let's move into... Booking Wetlands and hosting Crucial Chaos. Uh, I have a personal story about Crucial Chaos before we get into this. Sure. Uh, when I was on Crucial Chaos with Modern Matter in 1991. Is you, you're the one that brought the... Who's the one that brought their mom there that had to, like, gently nudge out the room? Uh, that wasn't us. <laughs> because, because one of the... Well, well I know what happened when you yeah. played. <laughs> so, so uh, Johnny was hosting Crucial Chaos. I mean, back in... Anybody who doesn't know what Crucial Chaos was, bands would go up and play. as a hardcore radio show on NYU. But they had a little tiny studio. And I mean, fucking little. And you would play, and you really couldn't be that loud because it was like. Yes, it was. I don't know. I think I went direct or something. Something. I did something fucking stupid. It was probably just me being a fucking naive little kid. <laughs> but uh, at the time, my, my matter was very. Uh, we had our demo 
out, maybe not even out. But anyway, so we brought like in typical Long Island hardcore fucking fashion, we brought like 25 people. You brought your crew. Yeah, we brought our crew. Oh. Quote unquote. Back then, <laughs> practices were basically shows. And uh, unless Tyler booked you. And, uh, <laughs> then there what, 30 people oh, instead of 25? <laughs> 30. Oh, yeah. Until Nirvana hit, then it all changed. Um, so so we, we go up, we, we go up, we bring our gear up, whatever. And uh, a bunch of people drinking, uh, and one of the guys we were with, I'm not going to say names, I know this drums, uh, <laughs> um, uh, might have grabbed a girl's ass in the elevator. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Arrested. That's so, right. This is before we even played. Right. So we're just like, like, what should we do? I don't know, should we play? It's like, should we go get him out of jail? Uh -huh. like, I mean, I couldn't have felt more like, I was like, wow, we really are fucking shitty white trash. You <laughs> dedicated the set to him, I think. What's that? Oh, you dedicated the set to Oh, yeah, of course we did. Yeah, it's on, it's on YouTube. How did he get arrested? I forgot. I remember something like that. How yeah, did he got arrested. Oh, so she pressed charge? She flipped out, yeah. She, he went, I think did she, she come upstairs to look for him on the radio station or something like that? How did she came up and asked? Like, or, no, because I think they were going down. Oh, on the way down. Oh, yeah, on the way down, yeah. Because he was going out to smoke or, like, he was going to get another 40 or something. Because, of course, we were drinking 40s, like, fucking, you know, cool guys. And, uh, yeah, it was a whole fucking Lindenhurst fucking shit show. <laughs> And I don't remember Johnny's reaction to it, but it is on YouTube, the episode of it. And you're like, what, like, what the fuck were you thinking? Goes out to, uh, <laughs> to uh, fuck Derek. Uh, got uh, arrested for, I don't know what you do, I don't fucking know. You know, it's fucking total knobs from Long Island. Anyway, but jo Johnny was very gracious to us. But let's get into you, uh, the years of you. How did you get into booking wetlands? Um, well, through this guy, Robert Davidman. Um, what happened was, he was working with Jimmy, and we all love Jimmy. But, uh, you know, it just it wasn't really flowing, <laughs> you know. I mean, Jimmy had his band he was concentrated on. He had a lot of things in the fire. So Robin wanted to basically get somebody who would just concentrate on wetlands and really take it up another notch. And I had stopped booking with Hilly years ago, and I was just doing various things. Yeah, doing you didn't the, book that much at CBS. You know, no, after, like 80, after Hilly slagged me, and uh, oh, right. <laughs> I was pretty much, yeah, I was pretty much done. Yeah, I was pretty much, you know, done with him for a while. And we'd still, I still go back there once in a while and book shows with him. Like, he kept Cheetah out of there for a long time. He was fighting with Cheetah, and I, had, I, get, I got Cheetah back in the club because me and Hilly, I said, let me and Hilly duke it out because that's what we do best <laughs> you know but you know i was you know the scene had become really violent at cbs i really wanted nothing to do with that i was not that was me yeah it was just too much for me i was so i got started booking more of the punk stuff because that's when nausea was coming up to rise and hammer rain all those bands so i was starting to do more of the punk stuff not less of the hardcore and um, we do stuff but like, stuff like no, all that stuff is sort of bordering on metal. Though. Well, nausea. Well, nausea towards was the end of, towards the end. The end, yeah. The end, yeah, yeah. The end of nausea. Of course, Al sounded like the guy from Anti Nowhere League. That's what that was. <laughs> you know, but the early in Yeah, but the well, Vic Venom, case in yeah. point, the guitar player. <laughs> you know, he was always like that. Um, but yeah, I got book stuff like that. You know, we do like dive bars, like Hanks. There was a dive bar on CB not, down the street from CB's one time called Hanks and we did a show there with like damage, nausea and hammer brain and I remember like this place was so downtrodden there was 15 year old girls belly up to the bar drinking night train <laughs> it was just it was just nuts <laughs> I used to stay it only lasted a couple of gigs but they were really sweet but I was booking stuff like that and and by 1990 is when you kids Lenny from Fear Life basically brought the scene back 
with uh, at the Bond Street. Bond Street. Yeah. They, it wasn't for them. There really wouldn't be a scene anymore. Bond those, Street was great. Yeah, those those guys. Those guys brought the scene back. No one ever talks about Bond Street. I know. I totally agree they with you. Forgotten. Bond Street is where Bond Street is really where like the Long Island scene and then what was left of the New York scene melded and met. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, absolutely. And they immediately became friends. Absolutely. So at that point, uh, Artie was booking, I guess, no, uh, towards like 93, 94. The Angle, so right? Was booking The Angle. So we, right. We were bringing all those bands out, and then we were playing at Bond Street. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great, it really got lost. In the, yes, in the I show. totally agree. And then the Brooklyn bands, like Dark Side. First Here's Order, the, yeah, First Angle, Order, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, oh. a, that was a, most that club lasted longer. That was a good time. Yeah, I remember they had the Black Howard Stern used to chase people up and down the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's totally amazing. We were at a Black Howard Stern, you got to chase you up and down the street. <laughs> God, I remember buying 40s from the deli around the corner because I wasn't old enough to drink. At the, I, don't know, I don't remember. No, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> that was the birth of a lot of bands. Yuppie Side, Shift. Oh, yeah, dude. Who was the girl went on? Exit Wreckage stuff. Yeah, the Wreckage. That's where they were playing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but those kids were so young and seemed so innocent. It's the thing when you see kids that are youth crew, for lack of a better term, or just positive type hardcore kids. Yeah. Years later, they're banged out. Yeah, that's exactly it. Extreme music brings extreme personalities, extreme scenes. It's very true. And true. you live your life in extreme. So, like, you, you live, you know, you're fucking straight edge, and then all of a sudden you're a fucking drunk. You know what I mean? Like, I've oh, seen people, that. The people I know who were straight edge and then became junkies is insane. Yeah. Uh, the singer from Fountainhead. I remember that. Yes, band. of course. He got into raves in like the early 90s he was like a fucking ecstasy dealer like wow. I, I think at one point i went to his apartment he had like a fucking freezer full of ecstasy wow. and he actually might be dead i'm not sure wow well, the guys didn't make it like the same returning point yeah what happened with him guy. who yeah, yeah. what happened with the same returning point how did he pass oh, years ago he got he got od'd I believe so, right? I'm not sure. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they just headline this is hardcore. Well, I used to. Them for a while. I played them on the radio station. People love that single. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a great single. Yeah, I mean, they were. And then you look, and they're like these 15 and 16 year old kids. And then this three or four years later, they're. The progression is. Yeah, yeah, I agree with. You. I'm on that. Yeah. We're talking about emotionally nine times out of ten, an emotionally disturbed kid came out. You know whether. They grew up with money or not money, whatever the case might be. They're they're attracted to the lifestyle and the music for a reason. You know, so case in I, I, case in point, RKL. Perfect example. It's only one left, right? Yeah, and that was the that was probably the top hardcore drummer in the world He's at one time. Bomber, wanted by every band who even great. had a pulse. I remember when, I remember when AF saw him for the first time. Roger nearly had a stroke. <laughs> Please be in my band. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's pretty. It's, it was pretty typical back then. I don't know about now, but because I don't know much about the straight edge scene, you know, to me, straight edge kids were just my designated drivers. So <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I'll put you on my handlebars. Fucking useless, Ron. I'm right now, but. <laughs> that was the worst friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> At least you weren't like Richie Queso, you know what I'm saying? No. But, uh, you know, when he did what he did, you know, we thought that was cool. <laughs> we could relate. I mean, we were disenfranchised metal kids. Really? Did you ever see the Tony t shirt, Richie Queso shirt? <laughs> no. Yeah, he made a Richie Queso shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> I actually, uh, 
met going back to MySpace days, I met a couple of girls that used to uh, hook up with Ricky Kasem. And uh, just out of respect, I wanted to hook up with them. Didn't quite work out. You got a new Richie Queso now in Cold Spring Harbor. He's off his meds, dragging his mom through the pool for about two hours. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, some rich kid just went nuts off his meds and killed his mom and drowned her in the swimming pool. Are you fucking in Cold Spring Harbor, one of the richest neighborhoods in yeah, Long Island. It's very yeah, just went nuts. If you go to Northport, you can still see. Um, I went with my ex-girlfriend a couple years ago. You can still see all the uh, the spots where Queso did everything. Oh wow! Graffiti. Serial killer freak. So like Ricky Queso was here, carved in the cement. Oh my god! The train station. You know they were like burn out metal kids. Yeah, is that what they were? Yeah. Hung out in parks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and they. Sacrifice, what, sacrifice, friends. kill their friends. <laughs> hey, Blasey. What was the shirt he wore? The ACDC shirt. It's like the fucking Switch. Not even a good one? I stole the, I stole the articles cut out of the paper. And he's like, oh, like, bug eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, whoever took that picture was genius. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Best Newsday photographer ever. He's got the eyes. He's got the Manson thing going on. Oh, my God. Like, every dirtbag metal head will, like... That's our guy. <laughs> it's our boy. Like our <laughs> Richie Case. That, that, that kind of like sparked that whole satanic scare thing. Remember when like 20, 2020 had like a special one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie yeah. did. He definitely did. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And then there were bands like Slayer and King Diamond coming up, so they looked at that and they were blaming when them. When did that happen? The murder, I think, was 84. But um, when they were all doing all those exposés, was probably 85 or so. And then the PMRC came out and then. You know, it's all around the same time. I went to Catholic school almost my whole life, and and uh, my mom was like super devout Catholic. And I remember I was thinking like I remember watching that, seeing all that shit with my mom, and be like on Long Island. And she and I, I think it was like 1985 when I got a copy of Merciful Fates, Don't Break the Oath. <laughs> Great record. But I didn't have the album because my friend's mom found it and broke it. Whoa! So, <laughs> I had this fucking tape that I just worshipped and it was so much, and I bought it at the St. Barnabas Church Fair in, in Belmont. They were selling Merciful Faith. No, there was somebody, obviously somebody else's mom. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was our It was a life-changing experience. So you guys have Merciful Faith, don't break the tape at a church? That was, it was the album. Was the full, oh, the album. Wow. Yeah, it lasted like seven hours in our possession. But they, me and my friend John Tarnowski, yeah, it was fucking hilarious. But I worshipped that fucking tape. I was just trying to put together when the first time my mom actually, well, she picked us up. And the first time I saw King Diamond was with Flotsman Jetson and showcasing Comac. Wow, I didn't go. Uh, Oh, I remember that. I was just a short-lived venue. Yeah. Um, and it was called Lamore's Far East. For yes, yes, you're right. Good call. Really briefly. Good call, yeah. And uh, saw some crazy shows there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that show was awesome, though, but I was in ninth grade. And I remember my mom, like, we all got drunk and smoking and whatnot, and, and my mom picked us up. So I can't imagine what my mom was fucking thinking. Like, me and all my fucking third bad friends. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of her, her fucking, like, whatever fucking Chevy, fucking whatever car. She was, we were all, like, packed in there. I can't even imagine. I, hope, I never want to ask her. I think she just blocks it out. Yeah, it's quite traumatic. It's like, not only you a Satan worshiper, but you're drunk and, like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, that happened the Sabbath. They had a, they couldn't come in the country because Manson was going nuts. So they had to renounce sure. Satan before they would let him in the country. Shut the fuck up. Nope. It's a known fact. So they the first time Sabbath came out? Yeah, they had they won't let him in. Because Ma Manson was like, you know, it's when did they play for more? 70, 71? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. I wasn't really into it. Yes. Yes, open for, for Yes, they did. That is I, 
That's like my dude. There's my fucking tattoos on my yeah, arm. That's your life. <laughs> that's literally. Your life. Well, the weirdest gig was when the Ramones opened for them. They got really chased out with rocks and sticks. Oh my God. Yeah, that was a bad move. Where, where was that? In Ca- right California. Yeah, like somehow the like, Ramones got the opening slot for Sabbath, and it was a nightmare. <laughs> like no. That's a fucking terrible. Oh, it was. I heard it was. Uh, it was yeah, that's dangerous. Book. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's like, let's see what happens. That's as bad. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's as bad as Jimi Hendrix and the Monkees. Okay. <laughs> that was the monkey's decision. Yeah, imagine that. They, yeah, yeah, they used their power to get who they wanted. Yeah, somebody, somebody wanted to make Hendrix a pop here. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> that lasted like two or three shows. Listen, this is this a picture of Vicky Dolan's tripping balls <laughs> watching Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, so you're booking. So. You're booking Wetlands. So what, give us, what's, your, what's the best fucking show you ever booked? What's the show that you were like, I'm so proud of this. I fucking found this band. This opening band is awesome. This shit's awesome. Well, there were so many. There were a lot of great shows. The metal, sh- the, the funny part was about Wetlands, like, and I always got to give credit is to Larry. Larry was the first owner. He passed away a few years ago. He was, I loved Larry because to allow this element into your hippie club, you really had to be on some serious drugs. <laughs> you know, this wasn't, you know, Milk and cookies, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know what kind of spell Rob had on Larry, but I met Larry, and he was the sweetest man I ever met in life. But the funny part about Larry was, um, okay, we do the hardcore shows, and we get a little crazy. Larry figures, you know, boys will be boys. But the funniest part was when Merciful Fate played fucking uh, Wetlands, and he comes out with the upside-down cross on his face, and Larry's like, what the hell? <laughs> he had never seen that. He's like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he just, we just wasn't ready for that. Yeah, but you know, he make a big thing. He just went back downstairs. Just like, I had no idea. Personally, played what years? Oh, I forgot. It was great show. Yeah, it was a great show. That was when. You, yeah. Yeah. Because they got back together in 93. Right. Yeah, we saw them together at the Roxy. Yeah. And that was the first time when you DJed that show, those kids were so passionate, they actually moshed to the DJ. We, which we never see that. Was at the Gate show? No, that was Chris. Chris Zahn booked at the Gate show. Dissection opened that. That was our only show ever. Yeah, that was Zahn booked that. Zahn booked it the... Morbid Angel and Dissection. And what the second, fucking, that's oh, an insane it was unbelievable. show. Yeah, Zahn used to book most of the bigger shows. Like, I'd work with him. So all the shows mostly Zahn and me. Because yeah. Chris Zahn was the one booking most of the shows, and I worked with Zahn. And we collaborated on all of them. He's the one that came to me, should we book Merciful Fate? Should we book Manowar? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, now they can't, you know, they forget it. You won't ever see them again. But back then they paid Wetlands and it was I was like, should we oh book Manoa? That was actually one of the most crowded shows I've ever seen. Yeah, it was. Because Wetlands is never thought of as being uh, a place. I mean it's kinda in history it's it's line of history is sort of the spin doctors and shit like that. Yeah, well you know what? Well, you have to understand something. Thing, we're, we're, right. We're okay with not, it's like Max's, you know, it's like, you know, other clubs. We're okay being on the back burner because if you look at stuff like vinyl, they totally fuck everything up. You just can't, you're not there. You're not really going to get it. You know what I'm saying? You can't recreate Max's. You can't recreate what's going on Wetlands or even Bond Street. You, you aren't there. It's just not going to happen. Let's get a fucking time machine and go back and see it for yourself. It's not going to fucking happen. Even uh, CBGB's 
I mean, yeah, even CBs. Hardcore is not exactly by anything aside from the underground. Right. And it's like you know what? what oh yeah, it's like it's like time stopped in 19, 1980 or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Once yeah. The talking Heads, all those bands moved on. It's like nothing happened. Yeah, we and we know it did. So yeah, we, we I mean, they, their metal shows are legendary. Nobody talks about those. Yeah, there were many though, but they were. Oh, there were. Comparative. I mean, they were hardcore shows constantly. We, the, one of the best shows we ever did was Tank AOD Way Flag. That's incredible. It was. I was tripping on acid, so it was incredible. <laughs> you haven't lived till you've seen Jack from AOD playing a bass, looking like a blowfish tripping on acid. <laughs> you haven't lived. <laughs> and then having to go to Tank's manager to get paid for the bands and wondering what's in store for you. <laughs> I mean, that show's incredible with or without acid. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing. You put yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, I put that one. That was amazing. Yeah, that was good. That's really amazing. Yeah, it's, 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 they had a lot of legendary metal shows there. I remember when the Metallica guys showed up to see Broken Bones, they got into a little physical confrontation. <laughs> that was the Crumb Suckers when Kirk jumped up. Well, no, Tommy, no, Tommy Carroll. Yes. Uh, let's hear this from. story. What's the story? That's on, I have that on audio. Yeah, you have that on audio. I, I don't know yeah. the story at all. Oh, you don't? No, no. no she can tell you. <laughs> Crumb Suckers played, I think it was the first show ever with Chris singing. I'm not positive. No, but, but they played, it was Broken Bones, not Crumb Suckers. I'm talking about the one with Tommy. Oh, no, the one with Tommy Carroll was with Broken Bones played. Because Metallica... Well, the were on stage when it happened. Oh, they were? Okay, yeah, they okay. Were on stage. Oh. I think it was Chris's first show singing for them on that positive. Right. But, bottom line is, he spit on Cold Rock Rockstar. Right, yeah, I do remember that. Metallica. Yeah. From stage. He spit on Kurt, who was playing a solo. He was jamming with the Crumbs. Oh, my God. Yeah, you never heard this? It's so he spit on him from the crowd? Yeah, he was probably standing in the front or something. Okay. And then... um. He got dealt with. Yeah. Other yeah. Guys. Yeah. yeah. For spitting on Kirk Hammond? Yeah, yeah. It was no, because, you know, they came down there. They were like, they were like big fans of Broken Bones and Crumb Suckers. What year is this? 86, 87. 86. Yeah. Abby and then Cliff was still alive, I think. I think it was Cliff. I don't think it was. Cliff was probably still alive. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Cliff was I still alive. Yeah. I have, the, I have the audio over there at home. Yeah. He was a sweet guy. I miss and him. And then, um, and then Chris Mentaro kind of. Yeah, yeah, because I think it was Kurt and James came down, because James was a the anthrax guys, right, right, yeah, yeah, and James was a heavy skater back then. He broke his arms twice from skating. Sometimes they do a tour, he couldn't play guitar. Yeah. What, what's going on, James? Oh well, uh, never mind. Yeah. What? James Marshall, John Marshall. Yeah, Marshall. Yeah, that's what it is. So they were, you know, but but you know, what are you gonna do? So did you you know the Metallica guys? Well, I I had met them. Uh, Metal Maria. I don't know if you ever heard of Metal yeah, Maria. Yeah. She used to bring them around, you know, all the times. Because when CBs started coming around, the Anthrax guys used to come around. Because of Billy Milano brought those guys. But Dan Luca would have came around anyway. Dan Luca. Yeah, yeah. We love Dan Luca. I don't. Yeah. It would just be like you just roll your eyes. But, oh, it's Dan Luca playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> every club I went to. He. I mean. He was every yeah, he's a, real, he's a real deal, that guy. Yeah, if there was a metal yeah. guy that hardcore kids loved, it was Dan Luker. Yeah. And it wasn't Billy Mott, it was Dan Luker. Everybody loved Dan Luker. He was just, you know, he was just such a sweet guy. You know, you had to be off your damn rock if you gave him a hard time. And you and you probably would get dealt with pretty heavy if you messed with him. I mean, for, for him to be able, like, seriously, he was on stage with every fucking band. Like, oh, Dan Luker, come up and play. And he's just like, oh, here's Dan Luker again. And I, it was, it got really kind of, like, as a kid who didn't really know much. Right, yeah. You know, the only way I knew Dan Luker was from seeing Nuclear Assault play. Yeah. Which they played, like, every other fucking week. Who's the house band on the board? Nuclear Assault played CBs a lot. 
That's true, actually. I, I knew yeah. that. They yeah. hardcore shows, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We loved Luke because everybody it was Dan. Everybody loved Dan. I saw this amazing nuclear assault show where John Connolly got so drunk he couldn't stand anything. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, Wait, Paul, was this? It was Paul Nida came out and played and finished the set with them. But I think, I'm not sure if he said it. Like, he was so fucking, like, just obliterated. Yeah, we loved John, too. John used to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stranded in hell! <laughs> Oh yeah, they loved John, John and Dan. Everybody loved them back then. They were always hanging out with hardcore kids all the time. Those two. Yeah, they, I mean, they were part of that crossover world. Yeah, you know, and that was, uh, I mean, you know, not to change the subject, but that was something I always gave uh, whoever booked Sundance because I actually don't know who booked it. It wasn't Frank for sure. Frank. No, he was. But, uh, yeah, they, the way that they would mix shows with like Morbid Angel headlining and then like fucking Big Sick Vinny would book Lula. a lot of the yeah Vinny yeah uh, Vinny situated chaos. Oh yeah, I remember him. He was. Um, Put a lot of hardcore bands on like the thrash metal shows, which was great for people like us. Yeah, but it was also very violent at times. Yeah, well, it was really bad. I mean, like, Ron, I remember specifically Ron uh, very vividly from that time because he had long hair. And well, he always had he always yeah. had long hair. Yeah, he had long, but but like but he didn't get beat up like the other metalheads. Well, I, like, I, you'd go into the pit and they'd grab your hair. And just start, like, do this and grab your hair. Well, Ron, Ron could tell you, I just didn't have any violence at Wetlands. It didn't matter what kind of haircut you have. We wouldn't tolerate that shit. There was a fucking lot of violence at, at Wetlands. Dude, those old burn shows were fucking vicious. Yeah, there yeah was but some you, yeah, I know that, but there was no, like, stomping violent. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Boy, skinhead shit. Yeah, they got to, if we got to a fight with them. Those were always rough. Yeah. I mean, but we got into the security, wouldn't allow that shit. They throw them out. You know, we had Sundance. Um, the, the security were very good friends with all the wrong people. Yeah, it was not the biker club. Which one was the biker? Well, it was originally. The, it used to be Pagans at Red. Right. But then Atlas Security came over. Yeah, and they what's were friends with all the SAB guys. Yes, it was. So a, what's Atlas Security? I don't know what that was. Atlas is like they did security for like ECW and stuff. Oh my god! They're like <laughs> legit security. Yeah, yeah. Well, those what did one of those ECW try to do security for the bank and somebody got thrown off the stage? I don't know what we do show. Big Dick Dudley used to do security. Yeah. He's no longer around. Yeah, yeah. Then he throw he tossed somebody off the. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. he, he, I remember like. Um, I somebody went flying like fifty feet. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I mean, I knew the right people. I guess you could say at places like Sundance, but I mean, sometimes the suburban versions of like metal hardcore violence were worse than. The yes, it was Lamore's perfect example. Yeah. Lamores and Sundance had the same kind of right. structure. You know, we're uh, we're interviewing DJ Alex Kane. From Lamore at five o'clock. Who, who who is DJ Alex Kane? He was the DJ Lamore Lamores. DJ. The, the only DJ I know Lamores is Chuck. Chuck. That's the that's the only DJ. I only walked in the once, so. Yeah, that's that is <laughs> that is the Lamore's DJ. There is no other DJ. Ooh, uh, ooh, we got a fight. It's okay. Chuck. <laughs> yeah, I do because the only DJ from Lamores is yeah, Chuck. Yeah. Chuck was the man. That was the man back then. He announced all the shows. He played the records. He played the 4F Club by the Mentors. Mm. <laughs> Which was our logo for a while and went on the radio show. What was? Well, we did a mentor song, um, El Duce, because we had Bruce on there and he was going as Bruce. <laughs> well, yeah, so Duce was going as Bruce. So, what years were you actually hosting Crucial Well, Marlene was the one. She's, it was her show. And um, before that, it was like uh, oh, spermicide. Yeah, it's Marlene. It's yeah. Marlene. Before the, yeah. before that, she had like uh, John Fox was the Death Rider. Death Rider Fox. And you had Hal. 
And before that was Noise the Show. House. Right, Tim Summer. That's going way. That's yeah, the he's game. the one that started those, yeah. Tim Summer. And then it became Hellhole for a while. No, no. After Tim Summer was Hal. Hal was friends. Hal was the first one. Hal was friends with Kraut. Okay. Doug Collins used to come up there and. Doug was the so one. He's a Queens guy. How's a Long Island guy? His father owned the deli out there. Oh, really? Yeah. How finally came out of the closet several years ago? I always knew that. Oh, wow. Yeah, Al. <laughs> it didn't bother me at all, but Al thought it did. It was like, I'm from New York, Hal. Nobody cares. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares, Hal. You know, I don't know what to worry about. But he was the first one to play the exit. That's my fault. Hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'll be quick. Me and John have the same flip up. Yeah, we got. We got the... I've never. I'm in a room with two people with flip phones. Oh, I'll talk to her later. This is cool. super special. Yeah. Well, we. <laughs> We had we had five at one time. Now we're down to four, because Jim Shorts quit on us. Yes, yeah, sellout fuck. <laughs> but we still have four. Jim, that's Jim. We have we have four. Yeah. Yeah. I'll call him his PC name. Yeah. I call him Jim Shorts. Jim Shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Kyle. I remember the first time I texted him when he got he had the iPhone and it went the the right color for having an iPhone. I was like, what the fuck? He used to have that shitty fucking thing that. Well, his phone looked like I ran over my truck. Yeah, he's like the screen. I could do anything to it. He threw it on the ground and shit. Oh my god. So yeah, well, four of us have flip phones. Like George still has his. So does Jeff. Oh, he sold out too. What about Jeff? Jeff Brown, yes. Okay, we do, yeah, yeah. We got three. We can do a one to twin up. Yeah, yeah. So we got we're down to three. We had originally five. We're down to three. But I got no service in this fucking dump anyway. So Jesus. What was service you got? T-Mobile. Oh, they're terrible. If you had fucking Wi-Fi, you could get fucking service. If I only did. That's the price I pay. My God. Where were we before we got I remember taping Crucial Kids. When the winds blew the right way on Yeah, the thing is now is... I heard Victory Records just not Victory uh, Revelation just released a Beyond live on Chaos. I don't know where I don't know where they got the rights to that. Oh. I'm I'm kind of perplexed because that guy's a bit, been around the block a long time, so I don't know what he's thinking. Did NYU sign off on that? Did he pay him? That would hurt Floodgates. Huh? Floodgates, because there's hundreds of live bands right, in there. Right, right. That would be... Right. I mean, bands commercially way bigger. I mean, I, I, I remember listening to, like, Faith No More and Soundgarden and bands like that even. Yeah, because other shows used to do yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 other shows used oh, yeah, to do stuff. So, yeah, so Hal, Hal was the first one to play the metal. He, uh, Doug Holland brought up the Exodus record. Which was a great record, and Hal played that. He was the first one because Timmy Summers was just his show was mostly the early hardcore and punk. Yeah. Hal was the first one to incorporate the metal into it, which is really and so did John Fox. John Fox played the metal. Yeah, he played both those guys played the metal, and I loved the metal, but Marlene really didn't want to do it. She wanted to be more of the punk hardcore, so I was okay with that. And I was going to do another metal show with this girl. But she was batshit crazy, and after two months, her show got canceled because she didn't know what the hell to do, <laughs> you know. So I knew that wasn't gonna last. But Marlene wants to do mostly the hardcore and the punk, and I said, okay, fine, that's okay. Metal will get played on SOU or something like that. No big deal. And it was. And it was. <laughs> See, the show at that point was great. I mean, you guys were on top of everything. Well, all new stuff. You were playing touring bands, announcing every show. For people like us who lived in Long Island, it was vital. I heard about that. I didn't really know that we'd have that much of an effect because it was a hard station to get. Yeah, NYU. Yeah, so we, like, we well, when it rained out, I couldn't get you. Yeah, that's what when I'm saying. Storms, I'm sure you had yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah this is before the internet. Times you could get, like... I mean, mostly I listen to WCWP. CWP. Yeah, that was the metal show for us. What about Hofstra? Didn't they have a hardcore show in Hofstra? And, and Stony Brook. Uh, Stony Brook. 
Stony Brook had a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Stony Brook, USB had Steve Kreinz. You know, and, and you know who's on Stony Brook? Marlene's sister. Yes, I, I'm friends with her. Yes, she Rochelle. Had Steve Kreinzer. They had the Steve Kreinzer, I love him, but he's batshit crazy, that dude. <laughs> he, he left a long time ago. I, mean, I actually did the hardcore show at Hofstra. Oh, you did the hardcore show at Hofstra? The early 90s, it was like 92. Also, wait, Nassau Community College also had one. That one I don't remember. I don't think that Do station remember? reached very far. Right. Do you remember Monsters from the Id on BAI? Yes. From 3.30 to 6 in the morning. I was still in high school. <laughs> I would, I would set my alarm <laughs> on school nights. I'd been on and stayed up. Yeah. Is that the... Like, he's hanging from his ceiling. Wait, wait, wait. Is that, is that the 99... I fall down from my ceiling, and I put in a 90-minute tape, and I'd set my alarm for 4.15 and tape it. Oh, my God. That's is that the 99.5? Yes, 99.5. Okay, I got on that station one time before I did Chaos, and she let us bring all these metal records and punk records, so I remember at 4 o'clock in the morning, we, we dropped Accept Fast as a Shock onto that radio station and everybody was like whoa <laughs> that, I found that just by that was such an underground station yeah it was anyone even liked it I was just up one night being a vampire and I heard like MDC or something I'm like what the fuck drama's up rearranging his record yeah they had a yeah, great they had this girl they had this girl who was a great DJ she used to have a, a punk show up there it was a girl show right? yeah and, yeah um, it was mid 80s I guess. yeah she was good or so. It was so long ago. Yeah, she's tough. No one knew about that station, at least by me. I mean, it was real off the radar. And let me tell you about that station. They were in the 70s. They used to have a punk show in the 70s. They'd play the Dolls and the Heartbreakers and Kiss and everything back then. That makes sense because it's, yeah. it's a radical community run. It's a politically active, community-funded uh, radio station. I remember 3 o'clock in, in the afternoon, mind you, I have my radio at the beach, and all of a sudden you hear the New York Dolls on that station. Oh, in the daytime? I hear the daytime. It was crazy. Yeah, so they also, you also <laughs> the same station that the seven words you can't say on the rate, uh, television. Right. George Collin, they were playing him on that station on BAI. It became the big Supreme Court thing and that law. That yeah. station always pushed the boundaries and still does. Yeah, they, 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 definitely, they definitely contributed importantly so to the music. Howard Stern of their time. Well, they're more politically radical. It's where you'd hear like Noam Chomsky and Chris Hedges and stuff and, like that. And don't, for, and don't forget, Long Island had DRI. What's that, 92.7? What was that? DRE. DRE. WLIR and DRE. Yeah, they did a hardcore show. Yeah, they did. You would hear like Dead Kennedys and Black Flag. Yeah. And they, they, had had some like late, they had some late night shows. Yeah. 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 They did some good stuff. Well, that yeah. was, you know what it was? When I was at Hofstra, uh, there was this girl who worked, uh, I think her name was Michelle Jaffe, and uh, a lot of the kids who worked at WRHU went to, went, it was DRE by the time I was I was there. Yeah. But they were listening to the playlists at RHU and stealing them. Oh, that, yeah, I heard something about that. Artie's right. Yeah, I did hear something about stealing. There was some accusations going on. Which is like, when you think about terrestrial radio now, you're just kind of like, really? Who fucking cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the time that was a big deal. At the time that was a big deal, yeah. yeah. Like, well, let me tell you something. If Clinton didn't regulate radio, it would have been two hundred percent better right now in this time. Oh yeah. He, when he, when he deregulated, yeah, he absolutely. he everybody's radio career might have been starting to happen or was on the fringe but that's got why, destroyed. Johnny, that's why fucking podcasting is by far the most revolutionary and biggest. Absolutely. I, I do, I love this a lot. Listen, I, I, I love I love all this computer stuff. It's wonderful, don't get me wrong, but nothing will ever be going on that radio and you just turn something on and everybody hears you all at once there's nothing can beat that there ain't a thing in the world because that's how good radio is you can just like any schmuck just turn it on you're there well it's also the element of lie right listening at the same time right yeah he's very very good absolutely correct that's, that's i love that's what made it that's what make, makes it special and when clinton did that any 
and when you do regulated radio, any like any boldness or anything like that was pretty much gone. Because then corporate swooped in, bought everything corporate up. It was corporate dominated after that. Yeah, yeah. Corporate swooped in, dominated. That was the end of it. And it's never recovered for 22 years. Same thing happened. Well, it's too late now. It never was. Well, no, it's not too late because if, let's say you get some schmuck like Trump gets in and says, you know what? I want to mom and pop the radio industry. It's not reaching the masses in local towns. You don't think it's too late with the internet? No, so no. Even radio? I think it's too late. No, it'll radio, will, radio will never die. I mean, I don't think people look to radio anymore. I think they look to the computer. You, because there's nothing to look to. That's the problem. There's nothing to look to. But if suddenly somebody came up on the radio that hey, everybody's buzzing about on the internet, hey, wait a minute, you gotta listen to the radio, this guy's on. And don't forget, on the radio, you could also stream. So if you have a radio station that's buzzing in New York that somebody can listen to. And that's what, how everybody does it. Yeah, well, I know, but you see that. But I guess he's right. I mean, if you look at the Glenn Beck and the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, when they go live on the radio, they have power and cloud, and they have tens of millions of listeners. Right. He's right. So it's but and that's talk radio that has nothing to do with music. But but, but it's, music is too controlled. Yeah, that's the problem. It, what happens when when you got corporate radio, you got corporate music. They they sleep together. That's the problem. No, it's corporate content, period. Right. That's what I mean, it is. That's the real issue. The only, way, the only revol true revolution is when you take the corporate and throw it out the window. That's the true revolution. And I don't think you can I don't that's think the you thing can get I love, into again, it. Again, that's why I love podcasting, because at the end of the day, like most most podcasts you listen to, if they take advertising, it's very small. You know, and yeah. it's just to pay costs. They're, right. You know, there, there is very little, like Joe, a guy like Joe Rogan has a million listeners to his podcast. That's great. That's great. I think that's great. Nuts. He had so much power. I don't think that guy's had a conversation with a person he hasn't recorded in fucking four years. <laughs> I don't know how he has a fucking family. <laughs> but, but, but he's he's great. And he's he's like, to me, he's like a new Howard Stern in his own way that he sort of appeals to the masses in so many ways because he knows a little bit about everything. Yeah. And he has the best guests on, and it's super cool. It's very much like what the idea that I had about this was to have people, it's like, I don't give a shit who you are, but if you got some fucking awesome stories, I want to fucking hear them. Sure. Because there's no doubt in my mind that somebody was here, and it's not going to be compromised by some fucking dickhead telling me anything is going to happen. It's the same thing as how this place runs. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, Absolutely. we're going to do what the fuck we want, and I don't fucking care, because that's the world I grew up in. Absolutely. And I've Absolutely. Major record deal. So, you know, I can say, you know. <laughs> That's why I didn't go to radio after after I left NYU. That's I was it was over. You know, there are people on FMU, another great station. Oh, awesome. oh great. Diane. Yeah. Okay, but they do 20, 30, 40 years. Nobody's ever heard of them. Nope. Yeah. And they're great DJs. Oh yeah. And but 20, 30 years, Talk 40 years. Music. That fucking station is. Great. Oh, they're yeah. Place. They're great. I mean, how many kids love Pat Duncan? Before he went to work for the government. <laughs> you got to make money. No, not the way he was doing it. What was he doing? Going after tax people who wouldn't pay their taxes. Oh, fuck. Yes. Did he work for the Shea Stadium? He did. But he, you know, like he, well, for the Mets, right? Yeah, he did. He did. I, and I love Pat, but here you are. Here you are playing this music. Then in the end, you wind up working for the IRS. It's like, wait a minute. Hello. It's a surprising twist. Yes. <laughs> but before Pat, back in the old days, there was another great DJ besides Pat. A guy named Paul Cavanaugh. They used to do, Pat would do Thursdays, Paul would do Friday. Paul would play more of the punk stuff. Just the early 80s? Yeah, early 80s. So yeah, FMU had back-to-back nights. Thursday and Friday were like supreme over there. Paul was a great DJ. He was into like Faith and Void. That was just, and all the early L.A. punk. 
So you hear all that on his show. Pat was more like the hardcore, the mental abuse, and you know, even back then. But Paul was a little bit more of the punk. But you hear that on his show. But Paul Cavanaugh was great. He was a great DJ, very underrated. Not many people have ever heard of him. But I, Diane's I, show now is like everything that we all like. Yeah, it's, it's kind of awesome. like a cluster. Yeah, I love Diane. Yeah. Yeah, her show is. I mean, it's completely diverse for the average person, but people like us who. Uh, Tip our feet into all the waters. Yeah, she I mean, covers all the ground. Everything. Yeah, she that does. The cool thing about that station, and everybody go listen to WFMU, please, um, uh, is that they, the people who are doing it are doing it because they love it. Yeah, they do. They do. I agree. I totally agree. Like they still have this fucking vibe, like when I got into radio broadcasting in, in the, when I went to college, was that I, I want to I wanna be able to let people hear all this music that I love. And, you know, little did I know, the first class I took at Hofstra, they were like, guys like, so... Uh, if you want people to listen to music that you want them to play, it's never going to happen because you're not going to choose the music that's going to be played. <laughs> that's so the true. The length of your, your, of your career is going to be six months in each city. You will be constantly moving. Uh, and if any of this stuff doesn't appeal to you, you should probably get up and leave now because mm. this, this career sucks. Basically, is what he told me. Wow. Wow. Like, wow. That's a downer. Yeah. Thanks, bro. But, of course, you didn't believe that. Uh, I mean, I uh, at the time. Well, I, maybe you did. You didn't do that for a career. Why did you further your radio career? Why did you stop? College, and uh, and I just didn't feel. I'm, dude, I started touring, and I just had the bug. I wanted to write music. Oh, okay, music okay. And tour. I wanted to see the world. Basically, my 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 whole thing was the first time I went to Europe uh, with Bad Trip. When I got back from that trip, I was like, okay, I want to do this forever. I want to. I, I want to <laughs> see. Was the first band you went over with? Yeah. Mm. I, I, I've been in the band for a very short time. Like ABC No Rio's hardcore band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they play CDs a lot too, though. They were the, but they were, they were the one hardcore band that ABC No Rio always booked was Patrick. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, because we we were we were fun. I mean, I was I wasn't in the band until the second record, but but uh, they, they were just nice people. The lyrics were really smart, which I think helped a lot. They were witty. I mean, they were. Yeah, I mean, they were all really smart guys, but the. Uh, and Fred is just like the nicest person alive. But yeah, the uh, I I just I got the bug, and I literally gave up every opportunity that I possibly could have gotten throughout my life for about twenty years. I was offered. I got. I mean, I got offered assistant A and R at Columbia. Wow. Yeah, wow. When I was twenty. Wow, that's pretty good. And I turned it down because I was leaving for tour in three weeks. Oh wow! And, and you could have worked with David Clayton Thomas from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I, I probably would have gotten fired in six months. But still, regardless, who knows? Who knows? Um, or you could have reshaped the business. <laughs> Look at that opportunity lost. What can I do? No, I would have gotten fired because I wouldn't listen to anybody. Yeah, it's corporate's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were like. I mean, I learned my lesson when I was in World's Fastest Car, which is the first major label experience I had uh, in '95. Like, I saw what Walter went through with all that shit like oh we gotta get eight people to approve this demo before it comes out you know what I can't like yeah Walter's a really awesome person for putting up with all that shit of course it was his living but still oof god lord being, being my favorite songwriter my favorite singer my favorite band ever like you know I can't imagine that fucking guy shit well I watched it I lived it yeah, you know. That's why it's just good to put your own stuff now. Find somebody to distribute it. This way you retain the rights to everything. Yeah, if you can do, if you can do that, absolutely. Because I heard the worst. I heard the worst story. I saw World Inferno Friendship Society. Now I know Pete since he's a little boy. I know him a long time. So I was working for the opening band. So I get to see Pete in like twenty years. And I go back there and I have like a conversation. Like, what's going on? Yo, shithead. You know, tell me what's happening. <coughs> so he tells. So he says to me, um. I said, what's going on with the band? Like, what are you doing? Recording? Oh, we just signed with Alternative Tentacles. I'm like, why the fuck would you do that? 
What's wrong with you? They're horrible. Why wouldn't you just like put out your own record and get major distribution? This way you retain the rights to everything. You own everything. I'm a bad businessman. <laughs> well, a lot of, a lot of bands. Don't, I, I quit want, after that. I walked they don't out. Want to deal with it. It's like it's like. Yeah, but it's terrible. It's it can be a very very high. Uh, time-consuming, time-consuming job, and like, and it's totally. Like, I a fucking living, so it's like I got to do my job, I got to do that job. You know, it's like. Yeah, but you know, do you know how many artists get wind up getting screwed at the end by not basically? Everybody. everybody. Not everybody. If you're not on your shit, you're gonna get screwed. Right. Right, and I know artists back in the '60s who were actually on their shit. There were actually artists who were on their shit, and to this day, they're still getting paid because they retain the rights to everything. They went signed nothing away. I heard rumors. I don't know if this is true, and I can't confirm this. Bruce Springsteen never made a dime on Born to Run. He signed everything away. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. So that's why. There, and but there are stories of artists who knew that who were smart, who actually were smart while they played music, and they made sure they owned everything. I got an example: Skid Row. Gave a but in in return for uh, the, so they did their early stuff with John Bon Jovi's brother. They all went to high school. Right. Yeah. And, Good uh, point. I, my understanding again, I can't I can't confirm this, but they gave I don't know, like if it's not a hundred percent, it was close to of their publishing. In return for their deal with Atlantic and oh horrible horrible. And it lasted I think ten years or something. Yeah. So it's um, horrible. Well, they're, they're, you, they're not poor. Obviously, they do well. But oh. the majority of the money went to a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of oh. John Majovi, smart guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's going on. With, that's what's going on in Megadeth now. His son is got to start a management company, yeah, yeah, fighting with everybody. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. That's a really bad internal. But that's what happens when you allow your kids into the music business. <laughs> That's what happens. You keep them away. Let them go play sports. <laughs> go do something. Paint, paint. Yeah, the Zappa one's a shame. Oh. You know, going back to that whole thing, I mean, I wrote it for 10 years for Johnny Maestro in the Brooklyn. I remember. You remember we were uh, doing that, yeah. 90 to 2000. Huh? And 16 candles. <laughs> 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 Flash me back. <laughs> you also wrote it for Alive and Kicking. What's that? You also worked for Alive and Kicking. I did? Yeah. You just told me that. I that. Yeah, you worked for Alive and Kick, and they did the song Tighter and Tighter. I guess I did. Yeah. I mean, was that, that had to be a one-off. I mean, Johnny yep. was like, yeah, yeah, but you yeah. also did Alive and Kicking too. But um, you know, we did a hundred gigs a year for a decade, and every band from the fifties to the early sixties. I mean, they don't know anything. Those bands got raped. Oh, oh. Morris Levy is on credit on Frankie Lyman and Lyman songs as a writing credit. He never wrote a song. He didn't write anything. Yeah, I mean, there's a. We would play with bands, and you know these guys were destitute and broke. Oh, it's horrible. They, there were some bands we played with where there were no original members. Yeah, that's guys my age. That's from that's from Richard Nader. There was a gentleman, there, Richard Nader. Nader yeah, yeah, in the early '70s when he started doing those rock and roll revivals in Madison Square Garden, the you, the Attorney General sued him because he was presenting acts with no original members. So he got in trouble for that. You know what I'm saying? In our world, the only band with no original members around Napalm. Uh, yeah, but if, if what somebody what happens is if an original member signs off on it, it's legit. That's what happens with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Now there's no original members, but the bass player owns the rights to the name. So he's collecting money. He's collecting money, which is, which is going to happen to Kiss eventually. Gene and Paul are going to. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Just let that end. 
yeah. Yeah. it wasn't Please. good in the first place. <laughs> they had their time. Though you, if somebody owns the rights to the name. I'm personal, I don't think it's anyone I hate more than Gene Simmons. I mean, I don't know them personally, but they. No, I mean, I haven't met them. I mean, but, just but, as a, from a distance. I remember going to see those shows at Westbury Music Fair with my dad. Which ones? Kiss? Like, no, that can't help me now. Uh, <laughs> like the Johnny Meister and the, the Revival, the Doo-Wop Revival. Right, right, yeah, yeah. You yeah wow, I, really? When you were really young. I was really young. And, and my dad would just be like, ah. Yeah, and it's the only one original member of the Coasters, and like, it just he yeah. knew every guy. Be like, ah, oh, it's only that guy. Got, gotta get the young guys. These guys are all dying. <laughs> he's right. He's absolutely right. Gary Puckett, the fucking. Yeah, but there was such. I met the weirdest people. Oh, you will. We did. We. Uh, you will. We yeah. went to Florida, and uh, the Dupree's were playing. There's a guy who looks like only like ten years older than me, and I had a shelter tape sitting on the the tape uh, of Walkman days. I had a shelter tape with me. And he whispers in my ear, he's like, don't tell anyone, but I'm a Christian. He's like, I'm in the same temple as Ray. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd meet so many metal and hardcore people. I mean, it was just random. Well, that's where Ronnie James, Ronnie James came from that. Yeah, he, he, um, Johnny and the guys from the Devil Saddens, who were the back, they were in Johnny Marshall and the Brooklyn Bridge. Right. They grew up with you. They used to do all the, matter of fact, they said they were on dozens and dozens of records uncredited. When a guy was doing a single back in the late 50s, they kind of had a, a pool of names, and yeah. they needed three guys to do the do the background. The, Ooh, wow. Right. And it would be like Johnny, Les, Fred, they're from the Del Sadens, Ronnie Dio. Yeah. That's what he called himself then. Yeah. Ronnie James. Yeah. And like 10 other guys. And they would just pull three names out of a hat, and they would do a session in an hour. They'd get paid a couple of bucks, and uh, they did dozens of records. Yeah, Ronnie came. All those old singles. Ron, Ronnie came from that scene, and. Uh, and he released his own stuff in the very early 60s. Right. Rainbows? Yeah. And then he did something on the Prophets. He had a few Ronnie in the, the Prophets. Yes. That's the one I knew. Yeah, a lot of people, they, 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 they had, back then, the genre of music used to really vary. Like, I can't even explain to you how you go from one end of the pole to the other. One of the best examples was, I mean, you know your 60s music, Strawberry Alarm Clock, Hippie Rock Band. Well, years later, the guy turned up in Leonard Skinner. <laughs> it's like, they had King. It's like, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's like, Ed, hello, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, there, well, there, I mean, the, uh, in my opinion, and we can probably do this for another hour. We got to wrap it up. Yeah. That, okay, uh, go ahead. Is that, uh, uh, in my opinion, like that period from like the late '60s to like 1975, '76, is the greatest period of musical time there is, and it's because. The music industry was flush with money. Yes, it was. And in the early totally 70s, agree. they just let bands do whatever the fuck they yeah, wanted. Yeah, it was a free for all. Music like when, when you when you when you put progressive rock on um, on paper, it's like really this happened. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of great music. The greatest music ever came from, at least in my opinion. But like, and also technology was improving so much they they went from four track to eight track to twenty four track by uh, probably the early 70s. ELP. And they allowed you time to yeah. grow. Because yeah. Neil Young talks about it. He's like, I would have never made it. He's like, my label gave me three or four records. Oh, yeah. He's like, they, I had five years. Look at Pink Floyd. They had like, Floyd. yeah. Perfect all example. Them. Yeah. They, they never would have, the labels were patient. And they saw them as a slowly growing thing. Or, the, pale, or the payola finally worked. I mean, one of the yeah. two. <laughs> Every one of those bands has a story What's how they got on radio from some record guy. Didn't What's your favorite hardest band from that period that you listened to? Hardest? Yeah, or hardest band. Who do, you think, who do you think was the hardest band in that period? Hardest. Who do you, uh, yeah, let's go with that. Uh, who do you think Pink was the fairies, uh, No, covering everything like metal, hard rock, everything, all the genres. From '69 to when? So let's say '69 like to '75. Who do you think was the hardest band? My favorite band is Yes. Okay, but who do you think was the hardest band? Uh, yeah. Hardest I have band. an answer for me. Go for it. My favorite would be Sabbath, but I'd say Blue Cheer. 
Okay, what about you? Well, Sabbath. I mean, I thought we were going underground here, but well, like, Blue Cheer. Yeah. I go underground. I go underground. I go with the band. It's a underground and and underground. I go with the Sweet. They were the heaviest oh, band. Oh, they were really. Yeah. They were the heaviest. They were even Black. Even even Ozzy says they were the heaviest band. Oh, because I, they would do their pop stuff, and then the record well, label. On the wrong would be on the radio, but the record would have set me free. And yeah, like set that. you free, New York Connection. Yeah. Don't be wrong; these were the heaviest songs in the world back songs then. Songs like ACDC, like pop. yeah, they were like heavy, heavy songs. I play those songs now, and the kids in the back of the van cry because their mother rocks harder than they did. <laughs> uh, they can't rock that. They, you tell them it's like forty-five years old, they look at you like you're on crack. Johnny Stiff, man, with band. There you go. Mm. We'll end it on that. So we, we'll probably have to do a part three at some point, John. Whenever you want. I'm good. Because uh, uh, we didn't even get into your love of uh, Metal Masker. Uh, <laughs> 25? Like, uh, <laughs> that, you, that are stuck in your tape. Metal, metal, metal Masker <laughs> 25. I've heard of those. Brian Slagle. Dude. I, I love Bill Matoy. He was the one that used to work with on that label. But, I mean, if, if, he if, if, a lot of if you ever get Johnny stuff. Stiff, Man With Van, you will most definitely hear probably Flotsam, Jetsam, Doomsday, Doomsday. No, the new Hellstar record is great. I like it. It's, uh, well, they know. were great last week. You weren't even here. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> omen. Omen, Omen, Omen. I've omen. seen them three times. That's huh? enough. Omen, I would have liked. Omen was great. Omen really good. Omen was great. They were. That new singer was great. They're the, they're the hardest looking metal band I've seen in a while. I'm not talking about hard macho, just physically looking at them. As far as Kenny Powell looked like he was from like a late 70s punk band. Yes. Yeah, really a rough looking band, but they were great. On that note, thank you so much. Thank John you. Stiff, Anytime. Man. I Thanks, bro. I knew this was going to be good. I knew it. And, Stiff uh, don't lift. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, cool, man. So, yeah. I guess that's all I got. Peace out. From Bye, Artie and Ron. Bye, <laughs>